What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Coolest Movie Talk podcast. We are continuing with the Legacy series, where we focus on one director and review every single film they have directed in chronological order of release. Journey Legit Cool, for the first time, is the founder of Marvelous Synergy Andy Tai. Andy Tai is the writer of several guides to the Marvel Cinematic Universe called Marvelous Synergy. He has published three books covering Phase 1, 2, and 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can find his books on Amazon. Just search for Marvelous Synergy and it will be the first results. Andy Tai is also, he's got his own podcast, which is called The Marvelous Synergy Podcast. A podcast, as you probably already guessed, all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Writer, film fanatic, and MCU superfan, Andy Tai. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on, River. So you're the expert podcaster here, so you're going to have to guide us throughout this whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure, no worries. I can do that. I'll just take over, shall I? (laughs) Just just take over. Yeah, you can be the host, you know. Um, (laughs) You're more than welcome to do that. Um, And at some point of the episode, we're going to have Nathan interrupt rudely in the episode (laughs) because we've had some technical difficulties in this episode. Uh, but we do want Nathan to come back, and everybody who is a regular listener to this podcast will remember who Nathan is. He's going to jump in some point of the episode. We don't know when. It's it's kind of going to be like Batman, I suppose. You know, in the shadows, <laughs> he's just going to interrupt. Never um, know when he's appearing. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Of course, my name is River Villy, and I'm the resident host of Legit Cool Podcast, where we analyze, critique, recap, and review films. We draw our conclusions at the very end to give our personal rating. And in this first run of the Legacy series, we are focusing on Christopher Nolan and the magnificent films he has created of the years. If you haven't already checked out our last four episodes, Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, and The Prestige, which is the latest one. I recommend you check those ones out first before listening to this episode. And this brings us to the fifth film in the lineup. Not the fifth film that he's directed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The fifth film in the lineup, The Dark Knight. Uh, Man, I'm actually so super excited to do The Dark Knight. Um, The Dark Knight has a very memorable... I guess you could say nostalgic point in my life for my growth and appreciation of film. Mm. Um, and when I was thinking about doing the dark Knight, I was thinking about who's going to be really good to bring on the podcast for the dark Knight. And the first person I thought about was you, even though I don't know. It's like, I, I seem to sort of naturally conflate all the comic book films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the cardinal sin to do to conflate DC and um, and Marvel. But like comic book films in general, it just seems like if you get an expert like yourself mm. and Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, you also have you must naturally have some kind of expertise over superhero films in general. Would that be correct? Yes, no, you are correct in assuming that, River. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, The Dark Knight, it's, it's got a special place for me, seeing it back in 2008. And so I'm super excited to talk about it. And I'm also super excited to see what you have to say about it, um, whether you have a couple of different approaches to this film. Uh, for example, I have a couple of approaches. One is I see the film for its attributes as being a film. But I also mm-hmm. see the quote-unquote superhero-ness of the film as well. 
if there ever is such thing. Yeah, no, I, so, I completely get you. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm super excited to hear. Um, and I guess when Nathan jumps in at any point of the podcast, I'm super <laughs> excited to hear what he thinks because I get the feeling that he's he's like a little bit of a contrarian. Maybe I shouldn't say contrarian, but <laughs> I think he has a little bit of a contrary opinion to mine with this film. Yeah, um, okay. But nonetheless, we will we will try our best to have patience. No. <laughs> um, no, we'll just start without it. We'll anyway, start without it. We don't need it. <laughs> yeah, just like kick him out when he tries to get in. No. <laughs> um, so with a budget of $185 million and a box office success of just over $1 billion, released on July 14th, 2008, the Dark Knight became the first superhero film to gross $1 billion at the box office. The Dark Knight was nominated for eight Academy Awards for the 81st uh, ceremony of the Academy Awards, breaking the previous record of seven held by Dick Tracy for the first uh, for, for the most nominations received by a film based on a comic book. Now, that was surprising to me. I, I don't know why that's surprising to me, but, you know, we're so saturated in a bunch of superhero comic book films that... Um, I guess I was surprised, but, you know, it came out in 2008 and that was kind of the early years of lots of comic book films and for it to be, or have the record over Dick Tracy. I mean, who ever remembers Dick Tracy, that movie? <laughs> it's kind of, it's pretty, pretty old school. Um, mm, mm. So yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise. Among the nominations were Heath Ledger's most complete sweep of over 20 awards for acting, including the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Screen Actors Guild, or SAG Awards, for Best Supporting Actor, the Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor, Motion, Motion Picture, and the BAFTA Award for Best Actor in Supporting Role. With a runtime of 2 hours and 32 minutes, this is the first time Chris Nolan's brother, Jonah, Jonathan Nolan, has joined in on the screenwriting credits um, and the story is still written by David S. Goyer. According to David S. Goyer, the primary theme of The Dark Knight is escalation. Gotham City is weak and the citizens blame Batman for the city's violence and corruption as well as the Joker's threats. And it pushes his limits, making him feel that taking the laws into his own hands is further downgrading the city. So... Um, I think this is a really good summary of the movie and it's probably like a better plot explanation compared to IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> um, yeah, pr pretty good way to surmise, I guess, the plot. Alongside the return of Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman and Gary Oldman, fresh faces into the Nolan trilogy include the late Heath Ledger, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Monique Karnan, Ron Dean, Chin Han, well, I should probably say Chin Han, I think. <laughs> Nesta Carb Knoll, Eric Roberts, Richie Costa, Anthony Michael Hall, Keith Sabajak, I didn't pronounce that correctly, but forgive me, Colin McFarlane, and Joshua Harto. The Dark Knight is the sequel to Batman Begins and is about a menace, not as a Joker who wreaks, wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests 
of his ability to fight justice. I don't know if I would actually agree with the uh, physical test <laughs> to his ability, but uh, I do I do agree with the psychological test. Um, so just just off the bat, starting you know just as a first impression, maybe cast yourself back to the first time you saw the film, and then jump forward in present time. Um, and re-watching the film in preparation of this review and recap, what was your first impressions back then? And is it still somewhat aligned with now and recently watching it? Yeah, no, I, I was absolutely blown away when I watched it the first time in, in 2008. And uh, watching it recently as well, I mean, I, I was still absolutely amazed at what Nolan was able to achieve, uh, you know, with the with the character and with the franchise. Um, Heath Ledger's performance is just to a divorce. Absolutely brilliant. It's all right, right? It's, it's not too bad. Not too bad a performance, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, when I first saw um, The Dark Knight in 2008, I actually got nightmares when I first watched it. <laughs> but the reason why I got... Wow, it, really? Okay, okay. So it's, it's, it's a weird situation. Like, it's a very, very weird situation. So... When I watched The Dark Knight, I watched it on a Saturday night. I still remember the, the session I went to. I was in Cinema 2, reading cinemas in Wellington, New Zealand, you know where, where I'm from. Cinema 2, 8.30 p.m. session. Saw of a friend of mine, his uh, German friend, his name is Rainer, and a Malaysian friend, Malay friend, I should say, John Paul. The three of us went and saw it, and the I couldn't get the movie off my mind after I saw it, right? Couldn't get it off my mind, and mm. I woke up the next day with the baddest, like the worst flu I've ever had in my life. I don't, I don't know what happened. I had the really bad flu. I had a headache. I had fever. I was coughing, phlegm, and and for some reason, that whole experience conflated with me being blown away, but also being petrified by Heath Ledger's performance as Joker it turned into some kind of nightmare and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I was like, his performance like really the, uh, got to me. Is it like the, uh, what is it, the clown phobia? <laughs> Maybe you have a clown phobia. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't... But you watch It, so you weren't really afraid of It. Well, okay, so here's the thing. is I, I was I was part of that generation growing up with It, but I it didn't really affect me because I actually didn't watch it when I was five years old. I think I watched it when I was 16. And, you know, being a 16-year-old, you kind of know everything and, you know, the world's against you and, you know, you always want to be your own. You're kind of the cool – you're that cool age being 16-year-old. So clowns didn't affect me. So I don't know what it was. It was just – it was something about Heath Ledger's performance that just freaked the hell out of me, um, which I think is just a, a mark of a great performance, right? Was – when um can you remind us as well when did Heath Ledger pass away that year so he passed away 2000 yeah, 2008 mm. he passed away in yep. february of that year so mm. a f- couple- during the filming of the imaginarium Ima- uh yeah imaginarium of dr panassus or something like that panassus. yeah yeah so he was actually the, yep. the yeah, only person mm. playing that role right but instead because yep. he passed away halfway through they got johnny depp they got Jude Law. Jude Law, yeah, that's right. And a cup And they got Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, yes, that's right. So they got four actors <sighs> to play it um and, and try to give it like a new spin to the character, which I think is a very creative mm. way of doing it, you know, when you have someone pass he, away. Fun fact too that as well is that those three actors then went on, two of which to play 
in the Wizarding World of uh, Fantastic Beasts, they two of them went on to play Grindelwald, mm. but one of them went on to play Dumbledore. Right. And I just thought that was quite cool. But didn't one of them get having, fired? Uh, Wasn't that Johnny Depp? Didn't he get fired? Well, nah, so Colin Farrell... Oh, oh, maybe he has been there. Yeah. But Colin Farrell played Grindelwald in one of the films, and then he turns into Johnny Depp, which I thought was a bit of an homage to Dr. Parnassus. Mm. And meanwhile, there, as the same character, up against... Jude Law's character, but they were all friends of they were all friends of Heath Ledger as well. Oh. So they wanted to honor his memory. They that, also gave their that. paycheck for that film to Heath Ledger's family. To his yeah. family, yeah, that's right. Yeah, awesome. pretty powerful. Eh? Um, Crazy. I've seen his suit as well. Who suit? Uh, the Joker's suit and his diary from when he was filming Dark Knight. No way. So a friend of ours, she's a cinephile, and me and her and one other friend are hoping to start our own film podcast soon. But uh, she used to work at the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra, and they did a full Heath Ledger exhibit, which had a whole bunch of accoutrement from all of his different films, including 10 Things I Hate About You and The Dark Knight, uh, including his full Joker suit, his diary, which was like his like method acting diary, where he was like just writing all this crazy stuff in it. Uh, but it also had like his old chess set. He used to do his own filmmaking, and he was a film photographer as well. So it had his old like Lomo film camera, oh, one of the ones I have as well. It was so sick, man! It was an amazing, amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. That's pretty yeah. special. Heath Ledger, man, rest in peace. That yeah, what what a crazy last couple of performances, know, but particularly this. So, so yeah. I got Andy's um first impression of the first time he saw the film and also the most recent screening that he saw in preparation of this review and recap what are your first impressions of this film the dark knight yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) um so 2008 you're helping rejug my memory because that was the year iron man also came out and it was just an amazing time to step into a new a new world for superhero films where they no longer were a genre but they were a method by which many genres could be told. And I think Iron Man and The Dark Knight really start to set a new steady pace towards different ways of doing superhero movies. So I distinctly remember seeing Iron Man in theatres. I remember my friends and who I went and saw that with. I actually can't remember who I saw Dark Knight with, but I imagine it would have been a similar cohort of friends. I think my favourite... Yeah, the cold open to The Joker's Bank Heist is just just stunning and that's i think that's the most um there's probably four very visceral moments in the film for me that's the first one which is just that bank heist i think the second would be the um the hong kong abduction (laughs) scene uh the third would be obviously the underground chase scene um with the bat the bat bike and um Oh man. And then I think I think it would then be the interrogation scene as well. Mm. And I think those are like just very visceral elements to this film that I absolutely adore. But I think there's so many beats and parts to this story as well. Um and I have a few critiques of it. There's there's a couple of core critiques. What do you mean? There's no such thing in this movie for critiques. Um and and they're not they don't come down to performance, but they come down to and they don't come down to motive. They actually come down to um, a level of... Uh, one of the things I think I sit uncomfortably with is the level of 
ridiculous planning that the Joker has to do in this movie for any of it to make Dude, sense. Dude, did you not pay attention? Like, he's not is, a planner. What do you mean? <laughs> he is not. He's not a planner. And he is the biggest planner. Like half of the movie is Batman foiling his plans, only for those things to happen, anyways. Yeah. So Commissioner Gordon taking a bullet to save his family, and his family gets put in jeopardy. Rachel and like Harvey Dent, a whole chase scene dedicated to saving Harvey Dent, only for him to get abducted, anyways. Mm. The whole film is um, the Joker's anarchy, but his anarchy is so so organized, even to the point of him getting captured and being in a cell with a guy who's going to blow up because he's already planted a bomb in it. It's like, it, it, it breaks the movie a little bit for mm. me, but I also don't, I also don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> like for him to like, get all the way to the ferry scene, like all of that, like if you plot all the things that Joker would have had to organize in any one scene, your mind would be boggled with how many things he would have had to do and how many things he'd have to assume Batman would do. Mm. And that's 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 probably my hardest, my, my biggest gripe with the film. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, um, I did come away with this uh, um, this thought of, you know, these these characters are the, the best multitaskers I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, man, yeah, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't even keep up. I, yeah. <laughs> However, like, all that being, like, yeah, man, even, like, the buses and the hospitals yeah. and having the, det- like, there's too many plot points for the Joker. Anyways, that's fine. Anyway. I love it, though. It's an amazing okay. film. It's, okay. it's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're sort of teetering on um, recap there. And by the way, for those listeners, um, yeah, this is a spoiler-free. No, not a spoiler-free. This is a spoiler-heavy. <laughs> there was a, we did have this protocol where we did do spoiler-free in the beginning. Um, but I guess we, we kind of forget about our own rules sometimes. But that's okay. That's okay. I mean, if you haven't seen The Dark Knight It's a legacy now, series. You know, it's 2000, it came out in 2008. If you haven't seen it by now, this is kind of your fault. <laughs> one of the biggest films of all time so, yeah, mm. definitely someone's so this movie came out July 14th what month did Iron Man come out Andy? May in the US I believe right so it was it was before, it was before The Dark Knight yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah because I do remember seeing both films in that year I just don't recall it being so close to each other um, but yeah, what a what a year for superhero films. Is there another superhero film that came out in two thousand eight that we don't know about? Yeah, The Incredible Hulk came out. Uh, oh, that's why we don't read it. That's why we don't remember. Um, so was that the second Marvel film? That was the second Marvel film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like an MCU film. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> and actually, actually, Andy would know a little bit about this. Like, there was that whole kind of Universal Studio thing, right? That happened with Incredible Hulk. Um, Universal Studio being the producer, I suppose, or the production company. Yeah. Uh, no, so they they were the distributor. distributor. Um, so they had yeah they had the distribution rights to the film essentially. In so, the same um, way that like Sony had for Spider Man and Fox for X Men. Uh, a little bit different. D- different in that Marvel Studios were sort of the production company behind the film. It's just yeah. that distribution had to go through Universal. Or at the, or at the very least, they, they had the, the right of first refusal, um, and they wouldn't they wouldn't turn that down. So, uh, yeah, they, they distributed the film there. Oh, so many suits. Robert Downey got a paycheck from Universal, hey? <laughs> oh, yeah, he would have, I guess. But, well, but yeah, uh, but Marvel Marvel wasn't as big back then, hey? Who, who was... Was Marvel doing its distribution through Paramount and Universal at that time in the lead-up. Correct. So, so, so they signed a, a deal with 
Paramount. Uh, so that's why you got Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, uh, and Cap, I believe. They were all distributed through Paramount. Yeah. Uh, Universal the did The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah, so, yeah, Disney bought, uh, Disney bought Marvel 2009 or 10, something like that, around that time. Mm. Um, wow. and they, I think the first film that, that Disney actually sort of distributed was, uh, the Avengers, but, um, you'll see the Paramount logo cause they made some sort of deal there. Yeah. That's wow. always interesting. I always mm. like, every time I go back and watch, or actually the last time I watched the Avengers and the lead up to, let's say Avengers Endgame, I was always wondering, I was like, mm. what, is, what the hell is with this whole Paramount distribution thing in front of the... Avengers logo. <laughs> that, that is the last time we see it, right? Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But with fear of getting wow. into Marvel talk, we should probably digress. <laughs> <laughs> we're sorry, DC fans. Yeah, we're, we're sorry. sorry. What are we doing? This is, this, Don't this worry. Is we're having podcast. our comeuppance soon. <laughs> We've got Batman coming. It's going to be okay, guys. Yeah. I feel like this... this, this Talking about Iron Man and the Dark Knight is like just a joy comparative to talking about Aquaman and Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> only because only because I just I never was it even Aquaman or was it Justice League? What are you talking about exactly? Justice when when um the release of Thor Ragnarok happened oh, right, at the same time as Aquaman? Oh yeah. Or yeah. just or Justice League. Justice League was And I just remembered yeah. yeah, it was Justice League and I was like I just want to go see Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what a time to be alive! Two thousand and eight. It was a very good, good time, time for to be DC alive. and and Marvel. So, yeah. yeah, heyday. It was a heyday. <laughs> um, so we will jump straight into this recap, and this will be, um, I guess, a new thing for Andy because Andy's first time on the Legit Cool podcast. Um, when we recap, we take you through the entire film. And we break it up into three sections. Act one, act two, act three. And film fanatics like Andy will be familiar with that structure. I've just read your blurb and I'm very impressed. And I am I am not a Marvel nerd like you are, so I bow to I bow to the king. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. All hail the king. There we go. There's a nice little reference. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I want to, yeah. Don't worry, Andy. I try and catch River because he always makes a few slip ups. But, um, <laughs> I'm, um, just, just for preface, I'm more, uh, MCU cinematic universe nerd, less so comic nerd. Mm. And most mm-hmm. of that has just been the slow, steady rewatching of these movies over time as they continue to release. Um, yeah. But, um, I really enjoyed Eternals. Did you like it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I liked Eternals. Yes. I, not their yes. best film, but I, I, certainly, yeah. I certainly appreciate what they were trying to achieve with it. Yeah, something different. Something different. I mm. I had exactly. some feels as well. I like the uh, sense of humanity's <laughs> potential. You guys are so mm. diplomatic with the answer. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Chloe Zhao. More Asian directors. More female Asian directors in Hollywood, guys. That's that's what I'm here for. And it's these it's these stepping stones, even if the film aren't isn't up to the scratch of the usual MCU nerds. I'm I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, let's get into this recap, guys. 
starting with Act 1, right at the beginning of the film. So this is taking place roughly nine months after the first film. Uh, the first the film begins with the psychopathic Joker in disguise as Bozo. By the way, did you know that he was playing a character called Bozo? Yes, because I, I watched it I with subtitles. It, oh, you watched it with subtitles? I think I think you know... Nicknames. Well, the thing is, like, those clown masks, they all have um, very identifiable names apparently all those clown Mm. masks that they have so Mm. there's bozo there's like sleepy there's or am i just naming the titties i I think they do follow (laughs) they do follow the uh, seven dwarves yeah okay the snow white and the seven dwarves yeah yeah gotcha um in you should watch it with subtitles just for that scene so you know which i cannot i cannot (laughs) (laughs) and and of his five clown mask henchmen, here we go, grumpy, chuckles, happy, dopey, and a nameless mask bus driver robbing the mob-owned Gotham National Bank, during which each henchman systemically double-crosses and kills the other of the larger slice of money. Eventually, the only survivor is the Joker, who reveals himself from under the bozo mask to the bank manager and then takes the money from him for himself. Driving away in a school bus after shoving the detonating, uh, shoving and detonating a smoke grenade into the bank manager's mouth to join a line of other buses just as the cops arrive. So this opening sequence, you know, we're so familiar with Chris Nolan doing these crazy opening sequences that throw you right in the middle of something, right? And there's usually some kind of big action set piece that's always using physical physical effects or some kind. When you first saw this opening scene, what were you kind of making out? Did you figure that this was the Joker? Or um, was it quite a surprise that it was the Joker by the end of the scene? Let's start with you, Andy. You know what? I, I don't I don't quite remember uh, whether or not I was surprised by the scene or not. Uh, simply because I, I believe they, re- they released this scene uh, early on, before the film came out, to, to market it. Uh, so I think I knew yeah. the Joker. Well, yeah, because they, they, they filmed it. I mean, what helps was they filmed it in with IMAX cameras, which just added this great scope uh, to this yeah. scene. So I, I don't think I was surprised necessarily, but I, I just I just love the pacing of it. Uh, and the, I mean, what a great introduction to the Joker, right? I mean, just just from <laughs> hearing the dialogue from all, all the other goons, um, you know, and the fact that they're backstabbing each other. All right, you know, the Joker's, Joker's really smart, yeah. <laughs> What a, such a genius plan! I mean, to mm. to get everybody to double cross each other, and they don't know that they're double crossing each other. That's it. Yeah, it's just yeah. The most like sociopathic, psychotic plan you can put together. And you're right; it's such a great way to introduce the scene. Mm. Nathan, I um I remembered watching it and just getting so amped. I I remember just being I I always every time rewatching I remember exactly how I felt when I first watched this this scene and my favorite element was knowing that this, like whenever you're doing a heist scene, that sense of control, I felt in this film right from the get-go, you knew who's controlling, pulling the strings mm. right from the beginning. And as the, as the clowns start to take each other out one by one, Every single clown, I kept assuming that the one that was taking them out was the Joker. And then I loved when that one would then get taken out by the next one. And um, and that made me just very um, just very excited for when he has the final reveal. And I think it 
it even comes to that point where at one point the Joker Bozo's very much under threat and it's when one of the other uh, one of the other guys <laughs> says to him I bet they told you the same thing that I'm you know that we're going to take each other out and it's like no 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 I am supposed to take out the bus driver and it's like what bus what driver, bus driver? <laughs> <laughs> and then the bus driver kills that guy and it's just Man, it is just oh, so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's and and again it 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 is what this Joker does different to uh many other representations and I think this sense of a grounded Batman within a very like uh real world without mm, superheroes. Mm. You have this sense of a strategic planner who creates anarchy in his plans. Mm. Uh which is quite different to the comics and quite different also to other uh, other representatives also i'm mm. gonna say that if if i'm gonna have a a joker order tier heath ledger mark hamill then joaquin and i don't know i don't even know who jared leto is so <laughs> i probably wow. i probably put wow. lego i put lego joker whoever 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 voices lego joker Zach Galifianakis, I, I believe zach <laughs> Galifianakis. yeah he's so good Lego wow. Lego movie two man. I'll I'll put Zach Galifianakis there just after Joaquin. But man, Joaquin's performance is very good too. So, you know. Anyways, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Throw <laughs> that you one know, in for free. You know, the opening <laughs> the opening shot the opening camera shot of uh <clears throat> um that Nolan uses, I, I believe it's called like an establishing uh helicopter shot or something like that. You know, the one where it's caving in on the Building on the, on the mm, window, mm, yeah, mm. on the window, and then it explodes with the what would you call that? Like grappling hook? Is it a grappling hook? Zipline, 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 zipline. Zip 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 yeah. yeah, it's like zipline harpoon or whatever it is. Um, what a man! Like the use of sound effects and the use of the score that creeps in, like some kind of scary monster. The score creeps in, and with that. Um, uh, that sound that he uses, uh, Hans Zimmer used this electric guitar to do that sound. Do you know the sound I'm talking about? Yeah. Where it's it's a gradual like. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's um I believe it's like an electric guitar. I think I saw the behind the scenes for that. And it's crazy the way he does it. He <laughs> gets louder and louder for every gets louder consecutive louder. movie <laughs> that he no no that every consecutive movie that he gets till the point that you get to Bane in in Dark Knight Rises and then you get to mm. Tenet and you're like. All right, bro, you got to, like, dial this back. Dial this back a little bit. <laughs> now, that's why you're watching yeah. with subtitles. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that, 100%. This is, like, the start of, like, messy Nolan vocal. Yeah, <laughs> but he yeah, says, yeah, it's yeah. like, some things I actually designed it so you weren't supposed to hear it all. You know, like, <laughs> Nolan, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> um, but, I, yeah, I love the opening scene, and I love the way it's constructed so that you get the, the best impression possible, best first impression possible of the Joker and how mm. he's going to be into, integrated into this film. And what I love about how Nolan creates this character within the story is that he describes the Joker as like Jaws, you know, mm. the shark that just comes in and out of the story has no real background to the character. You don't know what his real intentions or his motives are. Um, 
so he describes them like Jaws, and I, and I love that description because it's, it's totally true when you're watching this character throughout the film. Um, and then to end off that scene, what is the line that he says to the bank manager, uh, Andy? Do you remember the line? Uh, what's it? Whatever what doesn't, doesn't kill you. Sim- what kill you simply makes you stranger, I believe, yeah. Stranger. Mm. It's funny because when I first heard that line, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the classic line. But then he says stranger instead. Mm. <laughs> now I don't even remember the original line. What he is does the original say- line? Stronger. Stronger. Oh, my God. Come on, bro. <laughs> I think um, I've become psychotic now. It don't kill me. Can only yeah. make me strong. Uh-huh, but uh, yeah. he ha- he has another little callback later on with the with the truck, the oh, circus yeah. truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that one? <laughs> I do, I do, I do. Woo, we'll don't worry, it. we're going to touch up on that for sure. <laughs> so um, later in, later that night, multiple Batman impersonators armed with guns interrupt a drug deal meeting involving the. I never know how to pronounce the name of this dude. That's that. Um, orchestrates this whole drug deal. His name is Chichen. Chichen. Or... The Chichen. Chichen. The Chichen. Mm. Okay. Does does he announce his name much in the film? I actually don't even know. Uh, I think it's in the credits, I believe. It's definitely in the credits, yeah. but I just don't remember anybody saying his name. But yeah, his name's Chichen, I suppose, and his gangsters and the Scarecrow and his henchmen. The real Batman shows up and manages to subdue everybody. However, he is hit multiple times and brutally bitten in weak spots of his armor by a Rottweiler dog, and the Chichen, Chichen <laughs> manages to get away. <laughs> Sustaining such injuries suffered during the confrontation forces Bruce Wayne to make the decision of acquiring a new, more versatile suit of armor. So this was actually a bit of a surprise. You know, the fact that there's there's uh, multiple impersonators, I, I didn't actually realize it was impersonators, because the first impersonator that shows up, I was like, he looks a lot. Why like does Batman, Batman look weird? <laughs> I was like, no, no, but I was like, why does Batman look so weird? Why does his costume look so strange? And then I was like, oh, it's impersonators. What's and then I sort of had to, I had to process that information. That information was quite quick for me, and I didn't process it fast enough to think, oh yeah, I guess it makes sense. You know, in a real world setting, if you have superheroes, I guess there'll be a lot of people that will try and emulate what a superhero is like. So, and 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 it sort of reminds me of. What Nolan said in his interview where he, his interview getting or pitching for Batman Begins, he said, I want to create a film and a franchise that is based on real world events or the feeling of a real world. So um, that was pretty cool to throw it in there. But at the time that I watched, I was like, oh, I don't understand why there's impersonators here. Uh, (laughs) Um, It seemed a little out of place in in my mind the first time I watched it. but, and there's an attempt to sort of explain it in a scene between Bruce Wayne and Michael Caine when they're in the Batcave or like the underground place that there's now the new Batcave. He, they attempt to um, sort of explain the impersonators. But yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And to see Scarecrow come back, Scarecrow was pretty, a bit of a surprise to see him come back. And I was like, okay, yeah, um, what is Scarecrow going to have in here? So... Yeah. And this this is where it seems a little bit odd that you'd get Scarecrow to come in, and he's not a cheap actor. You'd get him to come in to the sequel to only really make a cameo appearance. So like, what uh, did you? Oh, sorry. Can, can yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, what do you make out of this, uh, Andy, in this whole scene? Seeing Scarecrow come back, seeing this whole drug deal go down, and this is the first time that we see Batman on screen. 
um, which is directly after the introduction of Joker. Yeah, no, I, I love the fact that they brought Killian Murphy back as Scarecrow. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, like having seen him in in, in Batman Begins, I, I didn't think he had enough screen time as Scarecrow. Uh, so just yeah, just seeing him on screen again was really awesome. Uh, the I mean, th- this scene was was very much a very I suppose a quick reintroduction to who Batman is, right? You, you see him sort of you know, busting busting criminals. Um, and, and and driving the the Batmobile again, and then he's still, as you pointed out, he's got the uh, the classic suit for he wore in, in in Batman Begins before we before we get into the sort of the newness of what the Dark Knight will bring. Um, so yeah, no. a bit more like versatility to his neck turning. Yeah, aspects. yeah, especially that. I mean, I I, I don't know about you, um, you River or, or you Nathan, but uh, you know, seeing the I mean the older Batman films with the actors not being able to turn their heads, you know, they're having to shift the whole body whenever they do a kick or whatever. It just seemed really ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I never yeah. like look, you know, Michael Keaton was was great um, and all as, as Batman, but uh, seeing him fight was just no. <laughs> just... <laughs> How was he getting away with it? He can't even turn his head. You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Do they address any of that in the comics? No. Well, in the comics, you know, he's 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 got some special material or something that allows him he can, he can turn his head, right? So I guess it's just the the, the physical limitations of of costume uh, yeah. design at the time. I mean, it, if you look at uh, Batman versus Superman, um, Ben Affleck's outfit, he, he's got that sort of full neck as well, which is very similar to Keaton's. Does, but yeah, but the technology right. has has progressed so much that they made it thin enough so that he could turn his head. Um, so they didn't have to sort of separate the the headpiece from the neck like they did with Bale. True. Yeah. Nathan, I was thinking with this scene and and even with that moment at the very beginning because because it's something that suddenly gets very noticeable once you get to Affleck Batman. But as soon as you see the second Batman with a gun, <laughs> or the third Batman, I think it is, you're like no guns. And he and him bending the gun like Hagrid does in Harry yeah. Potter. Um, I I love this um, element because just before that scene, you have a couple of guys see the bat symbol, and one of them says, "Come on, you got more chance of like winning the lottery, the lottery. than like bumping into him tonight, <laughs> yeah, that's right? right. Like, yeah. Um, that there's a real sense of uh, time that that has happened since Batman Begins. That mm. he has become an element of Gotham. Um, uh, a figurehead of Gotham's justice, and mm. um, at the same time, like that, that justice and Gotham has been quashed and in control. And Joker brings it up, like later when he sees all the mob bosses, where he's like, "You know, you're here in the daylight because you're afraid of the night now." Like, mm. um, yeah. you see that that amazing energy that that is a reminder that that this is his film. And I think this is what is wild because for me, again, I find Bale's performance in this film is fantastic, but Heath Ledger really does just outpace, I wouldn't say outshine, but outpace everyone else and Bale even as the protagonist and the main character. And Mm. it's really like, yeah, but you, but I think that that's also part of it. Like Nolan, Nolan portrays Bale as a bit worn out and worn down. He's in his like new apartment under underground base because his like his his mansion's still getting rebuilt. There's this element of like an an energy to Batman which 
is very human and i love that i honestly just Mm -hmm. i think that's awesome like the dog bites while him also yeah and and just simplifying that crane crane setting as the scarecrow he's just one of a few big bads now he's not like the most important and i think he pops up again in dark knight rises in the people's tribunal as yeah as the false judge (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. so i do love that like and and i think that's an another little nolan staying power thing where it's like yeah like nolan doesn't do sequels so i guess you'd come back for a sequel (laughs) even if you're in it for a second so yeah yeah love it yeah it's it's totally true (laughs) Um, like Nolan actually doesn't like doing sequels. I, I mean, I think he's on record saying that he doesn't actually like doing sequels. So every time he makes a film, he makes it as if this is the only film that he makes. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think you see that quite evidently when you watch any of his films. Um, mm. And and this is what I like. And this is why I love doing a legacy series that's starting with someone like Christopher Nolan. You know, we're coming out of the gates hot, you know. Um, so then we're introduced to a new character harvey dent played by uh what's um, his face aaron aaron eckhart eckhart the new district attorney begins to place more and more criminals behind bars even defending himself successfully against an assassination attempt from mob boss salvatore maroney during the crime lord's trial okay I, I was a little bit confused about this i don't know about you guys but i was a little bit confused like how does law and order <laughs> and courtrooms work <laughs> in this universe that they've created why is he able to get out a gun and there isn't like an army of people trying to shut him down except there's only, like a security guard that shuts yeah, him down it's gotham bro it's gotham man it's not our world it's is, gotham yeah, yeah they, don't have, they don't have metal detectors that's that's not a thing <laughs> Yeah, it's not a thing. But did you did you find it weird, Andy? Like when when that happened, like I I found it like kind of weird. But no, I, look, <laughs> I, I just I, I just kind of took that you know for what it was. You know, Gotham's got, got its corruption and things sneak through the cracks. So uh, no, not not surprised at all that uh, someone someone's able to pull a gun out in court. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, that's that's some crazy city that they live in. Um, <clears throat> So, so Batman and Lieutenant James Gordon contemplate bringing Harvey in on their plan to eradicate the mob and the possibility that Harvey will become the hero to the people that Batman cannot be. Harvey is nicknamed the quote-unquote White Knight of Gotham City, although Harvey mentions in an argument with Gordon that he had a different name, nickname in internal affairs. So this is obviously a little bit of a nod to the comics and, and people that are fans mm. of the comics would only know this inside joke. Um, and I, I think I actually, I didn't even whisper. I didn't even attempt to whisper in the cinema. So as my mates left and right of me, I was like, oh, that's the, that's Two-Face. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the people in front of me were like, what the heck? They, he probably just spoiled the film. You know? Hey, everyone, I, never never go to a film <laughs> when you're there. It's, you should have seen it with good. Spider-Man. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but if you do go to the MCU film with me, I mean, you're only going to be at the opening screening anyway, so you're in safe hands with a bunch true. of nerds. Um. So yeah, um, where are we at? At the same time, Bruce Wayne and Harvey are both uh, competing for the love of Rachel Dawes. However, Rachel and Dent are romantically involved in a relationship. Maroney, the Chichen Gamble, and the other mob bosses see the combined effort of Dent, 
Batman and Gordon as a threat to decide to meet and discuss how to handle it. Their Chinese accountant, Lau, informs that he has secretly relocated the mob's money to Hong Kong to prevent the police from seizing it with the imminent bank raid. So this is obviously just before we get into that whole um, scene where they're in the kitchen and stuff. By the way, I think there's mm. a funny sequence out there like a funny setting that they're in a kitchen. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, leading up to this moment, we see that Rachel Dawes has moved on, um, which I'm, I'm interested to hear your guys' insights as to why and how this can be kind of justified in the sort of linear timeline that we're working with from Batman Begins all the way up until now. We don't really get the, you know, original connection of Harvey Dent and Rachel Dawes, but did you sort of buy this relationship? between Rachel Dawes and Harvey Dent Um, because we're kind of thrown right in the middle of it, right? We don't really get a first date. We don't really get like sort of anything. Uh, How do you make this relationship going on? And it becomes sort of a triangle relationship between Harvey Dent, Rachel Dawes, (laughs) and Bruce Wayne almost, right? I mean, Rachel Dawes does some, you know, some pretty creepy shit in this. You know, she does some pretty like two-timer shit going on. Um, But, you know, starting with you, Nathan, like what did you make of this Reintroduction of Rachel Dawes, Harvey Dent, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I so obviously you have a recast with Mate, um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and I, I love, I love. Oh, her I couldn't tell the difference, man. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she just she has a really wonderful energy. I do like Katie Holmes, but I feel Rachel Dawes as as uh, as a DA in Gotham, like the sass and that that girl power energy is dope. Um, I found that, that again, and, and it's inevitable, we've seen it enough times in Marvel and Game of Thrones to know that recasting does have its world-breaking areas for, for the viewer. And I think her relationship with Bruce Wayne particularly and and then with him as Batman, like I think that that... I don't know if that landed as well, but I really liked how her and Eckhart played off each other as, as a couple. Mm. And I felt that, and I, I think part of that's down to Eckhart's charm is such a good boy. Like, I, yeah, I, I if you guys have seen Thank You for Smoking, um, his character in, man, his character in that film, for those that don't know, he, he plays a spokesman for a cigarette company who is schmarmy as, as all else, mm. knows how to BS his way through life, has this ridiculous char- charisma, which you could call charm, except he intentionally is a dick. And in this, I do love that because it's a bit of a reverse of that until he becomes Two-Face, where he is mm. just so impeccable, so righteous. And you could 100% believe that Harvey Dent could have been Batman. And, um, and I think everyone else, when there is that point of that false reveal, everyone else... 100% is on board with it because I think Eckhart plays it really well. And I think that really does settle into the dynamic of Rachel Dawes as someone who cares about justice as well. So I, I dig it. I, I think it's a, I think it's one of the best castings. And I really enjoyed that element to the film. But it is, yeah, it is. And it's quite a large element to the plot, isn't it? That does bring, bring up again in Dark Knight Rises. But again, I just found that that was the weakest part of the love triangle was Bruce and, Bruce and Rach. So, yeah. Yeah, mm. Andy. Yeah, no, I, I feel very much the same. Um, no, I, I've always sort of saw it as as Rachel. She's in love with Bruce, or the idea of being with Bruce, but she can't 
reconcile the fact that you know he's he's Batman. Um, it's not that she doesn't like Batman; it's just that she she can't be in a relationship with him, right? And that's why there's that mm-hmm. sort of that, that struggle there. And, and in 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 Harvey Dent, she sees someone that she can be with twenty four seven, right? He's always mm-hmm. Harvey Dent. Um, and 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 like you said, Nathan, yeah, he he's just the the you know he's a, he's, he's the good guy, right? There's there's no, there's no bad bone in it. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I can I can certainly see why uh, there's that sort of that that push and pull there. I mean, she she's known Bruce f- for for the longest time. You know, they grew up together. So so of course the the yeah. two of them would have a connection, right? Um, mm. But um, yeah, she she just I guess you know she she just realizes Bruce Bruce can't can't get rid of Batman. Can't let it, let that side yeah. of him go. Mm. Do you think Maggie Gyllenhaal was a good casting for her or a good recast? Yeah, no, I think she did uh, a really good job. Uh, not, not that Katie did a, a bad job necessarily. I think it's just mm. Maggie was so much more nuanced. True. Mm. Yeah, I actually really like Katie Holmes because, like, because you know, obviously I rewatched um, Batman Begins and I actually mm. really appreciate her performance a lot more now than I did back then. And I, I think back then I didn't appreciate her performance probably because she just. Um, gave me sort of traumatic vibes from Party of Five. I don't know if you ever saw that TV series, The Party of Five, <laughs> but no. she was in that TV series, and I hated that TV series. So I, I sort of defaulted to not liking her, and the fact that she was in the Batman movie, I was like, why is The Party of Five in the Batman movie, man? Seriously. Um, but you know, you put that aside, and I appreciate her performance a lot more. Uh, sure. So from this from this little kind of triune strange relationship between three of them <laughs> that, that Harvey Dent doesn't even know about. <laughs> um, the Joker arrives and after killing Gamble's crony by way of a magic trick <laughs> involving a stickering pencil into the table and then slamming, uh, and then slamming the crony's head onto the pencil, sending it through his eye socket. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever um, heard any other reiterations. You can actually hear the eye socket. If you go back and watch it and listen with intent, you can hear the go through his eye socket. It's very subtle. It's very, very subtle. Did you did you hear something about that as well, mate? Well, I heard something about that, but I also feel like this is one of those scenes because there's, there's a lot of story behind it. It's like mm. when Aragorn breaks his toe in Two Towers. <laughs> it's something that everyone that's watched it brings up. Sorry, did you guys get that reference in, in Lord no, of the Rings? No, no, I can't remember that part. In, in Lord of the Rings... In Lord of the Rings Two Towers, there's a bit where the orcs uh, have two of the hobbits and... Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are chasing, and at one point they think that the hobbits have died, and he kicks a helmet, and he screams out because he's like in anguish that he's lost the hobbits. But um, is it Mort- Mortensen, the, the the actor who the plays Mortensen, Mortensen. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. the actor that plays Aragorn, when he kicked that helmet, he actually broke his toe. So when he's screaming oh, out, oh, Aragorn, yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, I always feel like it's it's similar with this scene where everyone's like got a few different stories about them filming the scene as well as that. So the sound of the eye socket, I think they filmed it at least a hundred times that day. And the poor stunt double that had his head thrown against the table every time, like, cause they, cause, cause Nolan was like, I have to get this shot, right? It's so important (laughs) to like the Joker's character. Find the, yeah, find the commentary on it. It's, 
amazing. That's interesting. <laughs> it's so I, good, I man. Such a... I just remember seeing a YouTube clip about it, about somebody um, analyzing the film, and they're saying you can actually, if you pay close attention, you can hear the sound effects of the eye socket, you know, the uh, pencil going through the eye socket. That's, that's pretty crazy. I dig it. I dig it. That's some really <laughs> psychotic stuff. So um, he possesses... Uh, he sorry he pre- he proposes to kill Batman for half of their price, and also tries to convince the mob bosses that Lau will give them uh, give them all up to the police if he is caught. The Joker then makes an example of the problem's anti crime result about Gamble, who takes it as an insult and offers five hundred thousand for the Joker dead and one million alive, so he can teach him a, some manners first. Uh, the mob bosses don't accept the Joker's offer, who leaves his card behind for them to contact him. So this is the first introduction. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of debate about what the first introduction of of Joker is, whether it's like the opening bank heist sequence or it's this one. In my opinion, the bank heist scene is the introduction, but this mm. is like the formal introduction with audio dialogue and blah, blah, blah. Um, Started with you, Nate. Uh, when this is the first piece of monologue, dialogue, whatever you want to call it, it's it's sort of a, a little bit of both monologue and dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first kind of bite size that we get of Joker. How did you feel about this Joker? Could you see Heath Ledger behind this, or yeah, <laughs> nah, tell me your thoughts? I, I mean, Heath just appears into this role so mm. freaking well. I um. That element of unhinged but intelligent, uh, the things that strike you immediately, and I think I think it's those little moments of again, and maybe maybe this will be a theme every time I talk about the Joker in this film. But I love to look at where is the control, where is the power in the room, and there's no point where he ever gives up his power or control of the space, even to the point that. Um, is it Lau, the uh, the accountant? Like as soon yeah. as he sees mm-hmm. him, and he says, "I know a squealer," and he points at him, and and Jia, <laughs> and, and Jia just like cuts off the screen, and then he has his time to like call these guys out, like call them pussies. He's like, you know, like you guys are here in the daytime, and you're all running around, all scared of the Batman, like, and and I think his line where where they like he's like, you know, I can kill him, and they're like, well, why haven't you? He's like, if you're good at something. Never, Never do, do it for free, free. Um, free. Mm. and it's and it's him setting his power over these men that is also manipulating them because they think he has a motive built around money, but then Alfred later reveals it in that story about how that isn't what attracts this person. This person mm. is unhinged, and this is a foil to Batman, which I think has always been the greatest archetypal foil for him in all of his rogues gallery because this element of unhinged anarchy is the complete antithesis of Batman. Mm. Um, and it, which is really funny because yeah. And, 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 and it's something that crops up in the, in the comics over and over again. Like you have a, uh, you have a, a really great alternate universe where Batman is Thomas Wayne because Bruce Wayne was the one that was killed and Martha Wayne becomes the Joker and there's always this sense of like a dynamic of or of of a yin and yang, and and so man, Joker in this, it's mm. like him planning for evil in the same way that B- 
Batman plans for good. So, yeah. No, it's pretty perfect. Crazy, yeah. Perfect scene, man. Like, perfect scene. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry for my ramble, but oh, what, a, <laughs> what a film. What a film. Um, uh, and Andy, what, what's your thoughts, bro? <laughs> oh, man, I've, I've got nothing to add. <laughs> you pretty much, I mean, no, you, you sure. summed it up really well. Uh, you know, it's great. I mean, I wouldn't... I wouldn't call it, uh, I suppose, an introduction or even another introduction. It just builds on his his, his character, right? We we know uh, he's 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 just sort of anarchy. He's he's anarchy personified, um, and, and the fact that he's got sort of this, uh, you know, the, the fact he's got uh, grenades or something in his jacket, um, just in case <laughs> things don't go his way. He's like he's willing to take <laughs> everyone down with car. him. Oh, man. The grenades was insane, actually. Yeah. Like <laughs> happy. I, I don't know if I. Um, if I counted correctly, but I'm pretty sure there's like eight grenades in his jacket. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised um, if there were more stuff somewhere on his body. <laughs> for all we know, he could have planted grenades underneath the table and he's just mm. using that as a way to say, hey, look, I, I have control over your lives right now. Mm. Um, it's a pretty insane scene. And um, what, I, what I do also really appreciate about this scene is that if you notice... And I only noticed this, I think, the third time I saw the film in the cinema. So I actually saw this movie, I think, like, I don't know, <laughs> 10 times in the cinema or something. Oh, only yeah. 10 times, River. <laughs> <laughs> only 10 times, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just passed the nerd factor. But um, I, I noticed, I think, in the third screening that the actors sitting on the table, look at, the, go back and watch it, right? When next time you watch it, just watch the reactions of the of the actors, especially... Eric Roberts, who plays Maroney, watch his reaction. And I think he's doing like real reacting to the doctor as opposed to the character of Maroney reacting. Because yeah. he had this like very uncomfortable reaction. And I was like, huh, that seems out of place for a mob person, <laughs> for a mob boss. <laughs> like he looks really petrified. And I think it was just because he was reacting to Heath's, Heath's performance. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is unreal and and it, and it kind of makes sense because if you if you go back and if you go onto youtube and you look up a lot of the interviews of all the actors that worked with each heath on this film all of them are saying the same thing that us as viewers experience as well they said dude when he was performing in front of the camera he like was lost like he you couldn't find heath ledger anymore and the moment the camera switched off then he was back to being heath ledger so so not a surprise and such a great introduction to the character mm. himself so Moving on from this scene, um, realizing the threat um, and the need of taking down Lauf and finding the mob money, Bruce is given highly more adjustable and maneuverable equipment for his suit by Lucius Fox. Also included in Batman's new armor is a newly designed helmet where he can now back out of the driveway. <laughs> yeah, I love Lucius Fox because he's like the comedic, element in all these films you know he has this sarcastic uh characteristic which is what we spoke about in batman begins as well i think he's great to have that piece of liberty in such a serious grounded film like the batman he's got that gravitas he's got the gravitas he's got the (laughs) delivery i mean morgan freeman is great you know he's Mm -hmm. good at anything and he has that piece of liberty that they really need in such a such a like stoic and stiff film Mm. And he has um, his, he has his ethical line as well, which I really like that you see that he has a contention with Bruce. 
Oh yeah, in the film. That's I, right. I really when he disagrees that. with um the Sonus, Sonus, Sonus. Yeah, the Sonus, Sonus, the Sonar. But then, but then, and it's again, it's like that trust is rewarded at the end where the machine mm. is destroyed. But, but I, I, I really appreciate that. Whereas, like, we all have a line, and this is the line that we're all willing to cross. And and you know, and that that is a very big thing for Commissioner Gordon, for the corrupt cops. Mm. And then even for Lucius and um, and later, especially for Harvey Dent. Yeah. Um, what's the line? What's what's too far for me? Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, at Gamble's headquarters, three men arrive saying they've killed the Joker, laying his body wrapped in, a, in garbage bags on the pool table. <laughs> Their ruse works and the Joker emerges alive from the bags, inserting a knife in Gamble's mouth and killing him. He subsequently forces Gamble's men to fight to the death for a place alongside him, taking the suit with him. Oh, sorry. I was, like, jumping. <laughs> so, actually, I, we should probably talk about this scene because I think it's a very, very good scene between uh, Joker and Gamble when he's holding the knife to his and mouth. And he's saying this This is, like, the first piece of lie that we don't know is a lie at this point of the film um, of how he got the scars on his face. Um, throwing it to you, Andy, you know, this is some more... Um, characterization that we get with the Joker and Heath Ledger's performance, um, were you just perpetually surprised or were you kind of like shocked in how this whole thing is playing out, the monologue that he has with um, <laughs> with Gamble? Uh, how do you make of this whole scene here? No, no, I, I just, I suppose any any time the Joker appears on screen, I just absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, as you like, as you correctly pointed out, this is the first time we hear sort of one of the many origins that uh, he tells throughout the film, um, and I, I'm just really glad that they they never show where he comes from, right? They, they, I mean, I know in the comic books, you know, the, I suppose the the traditional origin for the Joker is that he he was a mobster or gangster, and he falls into that out of acid, and you know he comes out all pale and has that smile, but uh, it, it always seemed a bit goofy for someone like the Joker. Now, I do prefer mm. the fact that, uh, you know, what they did in this film of not giving him an origin, leaving you guessing, you know, you can't you can't read him in any sort of way. Uh, he's very unpredictable in that sense. Yeah, that's such a great scene. I mean, you know, mm. um, th- this was actually one of those um, nightmare situations that I had, you know, going back to what I was saying before at the beginning of the cast, where I was getting nightmares from having the flu and having the cold and being so sick and this is one of those scenes that I always remembered, always remembered. Like it was just, I couldn't get out of my head and I felt like I was going a little bit crazy myself. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's just so well constructed and I, I love the framing here mm. as well. You know, the framing is, is an extreme close up, but not like a classic extreme close up. It's a, it's a extreme close up from the perspective of, uh, gamble, but also mm. showing us that Gamble is much is a, is a much lower status compared to Joker because you know the way the camera is sitting, it's like just below, so we're looking up at Joker, but behind mm. yeah. an extreme close up. So incredible camera work from, I mean, it's probably heavily directed by <laughs> by uh, Nolan, but you know the camera work is is incredibly well done by Wally Fister, which you know, continues to be his sort of right-hand man DOP in most of his films. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the framing in all of this. Nathan? Man, I love sinister violence when it's off-screened. Like, <laughs> and that's because I'm squirmish at the best of times, but 
your imagination <laughs> does so much more. Like your imagination does so much more with the look of the other mobsters as Gamble gets killed. Yeah, the and then the horror and the recognition that they'll have to fight to the death. The three of them with one sharp stick, and whoever stays on will have at that point given up his humanity enough to join the the Joker. You know, like that, like that that element of you wanted to, you know, you wanted to play with the big dogs. Well, now now you're like now you're in the league. Mm, Exactly. Um, Yeah. But but that and and I love this and and it's something that I think. Joker, the film Joker with Joaquin does really well. That element of unhinged followers of of a, of a, of a being like this, I um, I find that that's a really interesting element to Gotham because there's he has the people from Arkham Asylum, but he also has these young guys. He has these people that seemingly aren't you wouldn't expect to be under his thumb. Mm. Uh, including some of the cops, but also like like the even the truck driver in the in the car chase, and so those those three kids that like are the ones that bring his body and look unhinged. And I think I've always found that <laughs> such an unsettling scene where it's like, hang on, these black gangsters, they're the ones that are currently <laughs> afraid of these teenagers because they can tell that they're unhinged like that. You know, yeah. like man, what a yeah, nuts, man, nuts. It's a great Shiv- and I, oh man, and I just hate the idea of a knife in someone's mouth. That's just oh well, man, this is yeah. nothing worse. Though. Like it, it yeah. almost seems like it's such a genius idea mm-hmm. um, to make it about like make the scene threatening for someone as powerful as Gamble mm-hmm. like, by putting a knife in his mouth as opposed to sort of classically putting a gun to his head or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah having a knife in his mouth is just it just shows more of that villainy that. Um, anarchy behavior and mentality that the Joker is. He's just, he's a psycho. And hands um, dirty as well. Like he doesn't. Oh, yeah, the hands, hands are dirty. dirty. Yeah. Know, like... Great piece of detail with that. You know, he's got the makeup on his hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a great piece of detail and it shows us. Oh, that, I didn't okay, even mention Nicholson. Guys, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're terrible. <laughs> you're, you're a terrible fan of the Batman. I'm a terrible Joker lister because I was just like, Nicholson's, Nicholson's makeup. And his makeup, I like, and that's very much yeah. homage to Nicholson's makeup because true because he does it himself. Yeah. Mm. As long as you don't mention Arnold Schwarzenegger, we're good. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not the Joker. It's fine. I <laughs> oh, no. Um. um, and so, uh, t- taking the suit with him, Lucius then travels with Bruce to Hong Kong and gives him a sonar device that can lock into cell phones and emit visual image of the phone surroundings. It will look like they've come to cancel negotiations between Lau's investment firm, which Bruce thinks is illegal based on their profits and Wayne Enterprises. That night, Batman donning his new suit manages to infiltrate Lau's office, take out the protection and escape with Lau. And that is the end of act one so you know you know when they introduced the sonar technology um and it's it's sort of a brief explanation of the sonar stuff but i was Mm. kind of thinking i was like okay you're gonna introduce sonar technology i kind of understand it you know when you get when he gives the example of the submarines and i was like oh yeah that's how they detect things when they're in the water but then i was like why how are you using sonar technology that is above water (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not in water so I was, I was kind of confused and i found it sort of to be a little bit of a convenient 
piece of tick to put in the film. But um, I don't I, know I think that answered I, though with with the I, phones themselves. Right? Oh yeah, the phone. Yeah, emitting the signals or something like that. So it's like it's like a blip. It's right. like a blip, yeah. Because when like, he what he does is he uses the phones of everyone to yeah, risk it, and that's yeah. where the unethical behavior comes in that Lucius yeah. Fox yeah. like disagrees with. Um, but I, I just at, I think at the time, and I, I, maybe even now after watching it again, I sort of think I sort of still feel that it's a little bit too convenient to have something like sonar technology. I feel like they could have mm. done a little bit better with that. But um, but I do love what? the way that we see Batman fly. In this is like the first time. I'm mean, not the first time, but um, the shots that they have of him in Singapore. Holy! Mm. I I lost my shit. Like I actually yeah, screamed in the cinema. Like watching the way that they shot him flying around the buildings. I was like, wow! Mm. Like I, I think I actually made a vo- <laughs> an audible noise. Uh, I was like, wow, wow! <laughs> I was like, Why is he for at these, for our like, viewer, for our listeners, River did that every. 10 times he went to them. <laughs> every, every Marvel movie, I'm like, wow, wow. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, sorry, Andy, you're going to say something about the, about that. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, uh, the, the, the visual beauty of that scene, right? I mean, it's all down to Wally Fister and his beautiful cinematography. Um, I mean, it, it helps that Hong Kong is, is beautifully yeah. lit, lit at night. Right. So yeah. Oh, he, sorry. He yeah. Hong Kong. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I said being Singapore instead. Singapore. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I love, yeah, I just, Wally Fister's work, he just outdoes himself in so many different scenes in this film, right? I mean, you see Batman begins with the very, the brown, uh, brown tones, um, and, and in this one he's introduced a few more cool hues, like you've got the blues and the greens coming through, and I, I just love that, just visually, right? It's, it's such a different film. Um, True. Yeah, I absolutely love yeah. it. Mm. Mm. Uh, were you going to say something about the sonar? Thing as well, I thought, I thought yeah, I a bit yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, I mean, Sonus just just sound detection, and I mean, I, I'm not too sure if you realize, but I think ah. when 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 Bruce is going, oh, so it's like, uh, and then he he gets cut off by Lucius, and what Bruce yeah. I think was meant to say is bat, because bats use echolocation. That's pretty much the the sort of what uh, I mean. It's the same principle they're using there. So I think it, it, I, I I think it was. Very clever of them uh, in, in terms of the writing for them to exude and not say bat but use submarine instead um, and not mm. sort of lean too heavily into the bat thing there. So sure. uh, it, it is possible. See, and this is why I bring mm. other people into the podcast so you can give me some better understanding of the explanations <laughs> of the film. <laughs> um, what did you make of this uh, scene in uh, Hong Kong, uh, Nathan? I think, um, again, it's Lucius's ingenuity and i think Mm. what i love about this scene is it's another little it's it's cue to james bond's element of actually the power does come from friendship and i love the element where he's like oh like you know skydiving into hong kong that's fine he's like what about leaving without the paint plane <laughs> landing and he's like now you're talking and oh wait you you missed the line there though he said oh did i said, what's um, the what's the full line the, the, the line that lucius responds with is, is i think you need a good travel agent uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's right and then it's like without the la- <laughs> and then he ends up with without the plane the plane landing, landing. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like now yeah. you're talking now you're talking yeah <laughs> and i um I think, and I think there is a really lovely arc with Lucius, which really comes to full um, fruition in Dark Knight Rises and the rating of of his tech, 
um, in that this is a really um, it's a really grounding moment for Batman in the world and him leaving Gotham is really refreshing it's uh, it seems really out of comfort zone for you as the viewer but for Batman it's just another job um, mm. and again let's go back to I think it's 007 and it might even be Quantum of Solace because I feel like it's an unmemorable moment in but a beautifully shot piece where he's taking out an assassin in a skyline on a skyscraper. Right. Was yeah. that Skyfall? In, That's uh, from Skyfall. Can, can we remind me? Was that in that? Was Skyfall, that in Sky? Skyfall. Yeah. Was that in Skyfall? Yeah. yeah and I love, I love just having these scenes of darkness that are just filmed. Yeah, and I think Batman works best in darkness, but these elements of, of uh, control and fear, and this mm. sense of the security of this building having that same fear and this abduction scene just has that oh yeah it it's it's just this element of justice will not be taken away from someone even if someone can depend on their diplomatic immunity and Mm. um yeah that 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 that's that's the again it's it's a thing about the lines that people will cross and the lines people won't cross and batman will cross those lines easily without worrying about it and he's got that role, and I love his... This is, again, while it's not a part of the scene, it's a part of his dynamic as a team with Gordon and Harvey Dent. He's like, mm. I'll do that. That's fine. Leave that to me, yeah. you know? Mm. So, yeah, yeah, awesome scene. Awesome, awesome yeah. set piece. I mean, I think the willingness of Batman to do the heavy lifting, or let's just say the type of lifting that no one else should do, is that Batman's willing to do it as well. So he's willing to get his hands dirty. And we, we see this come into mega fruition by the end of the film, is that he will get his hands dirty because he has to be the symbol but he, he has to be a different type of symbol, not the type of symbol that Gotham wants to be. Um, so that is the end of Act 1. And Act 1 is such a stacked piece of film exposition for where the direction of where this film is going. When we get into Act 2, Batman successfully returns to Gotham and delivers Lau to the Gotham City Police. Lau makes a deal with Dent. Rachel and Gordon to give the name of all his clients in return of being placed on of on county watch. The mob bosses are all placed under arrest. However, Maroney and Chichen um, manage to evade the prison system and agree to pay the Joker half of their money in return of helping them. <laughs> and this is where <laughs> everything starts to crumble for the mob bosses. The Joker broadcasts a message to all of Gotham stating that if the Batman does not turn himself into the police, then he will kill innocent people every day, starting with a Batman impersonator, Brian Douglas. He gives various clues as to who he plans to kill next based on the three traces of DNA found on a Joker card, Commissioner Loeb, Judge Cirillo, and Harvey Dent. Gordon makes emergency preparations to protect them, but in the cases of Cirillo and Loeb, he fails. Cirillo is seen being taken into productive, uh, protective custody and then uh, and men leading her to her car hand an envelope containing a list of instructions. Um, as soon as Cirillo gets into the car and opens the envelope, she finds only a single word, up. <laughs> sure enough, the car blows it up. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gordon is trying to convince Loeb about the seriousness of the situation, and Loeb drinks a bottle of whiskey. Gordon figures that perhaps the DNA on the Joker card 
in question came from someone lifting a sample from a tissue or a glass in Loeb's position. He kneels around, oh, sorry, he wheels around. I didn't see Loeb collapse from severe poisoning. Okay, so this this whole section of the film, the first thing is probably going back to what you were saying before, Nathan, was that, um, you know, Joker is like the most meticulously... <laughs> Um, organized person at planning everything. I mean, the fact that he manages to get all the DNA yeah. from like three people, he yeah. manages to um, uh, situate or not situate, but he manages to kidnap the Batman impersonator, create a video, broadcast it on television, which also requires organization <laughs> to get it onto to television. You know, he, he would have had to, this sort of an un told story here where he mm. breaks into like TV broadcasting or something almost kind of like a V for Vendetta scene you know Fine, where V yeah. gets into the news headquarters breaks in and puts everybody in hostage situation there's a story there where Joker does that also with the TV broadcasting system mm. um, and it's then, very similar actually V is a really good example actually of that that same kind of yeah 100% true yeah Alan Moore of... man he knows how to write good stories <laughs> Yeah, he does. He does. He does. But you know, this this whole thing. There's so much going on in mm. this whole second act, or the beginning of the second act. It's like it's hard to sort of. Well, I actually found it a little bit difficult to keep track of yeah. where the story was was going, and I knew that it was leading to some kind of um, massive scene with the Joker. But we we jump around quite a bit. Um, Andy, when we get into this scene with the Joker inside the Wayne Mansion, you know, at the party, what is it called? The mm. uh, the Harvey the fundraising party for, for Harvey Dent. The fundraiser, yeah. the fundraiser, yes. Mm. Fundraiser. When we get into this whole part and, you know, the build-up to this Joker scene, how did you find the whole construction and, and sort of the build-up to Joker being in? Yeah, no, I love the, the great sense of anticipation, right? You've got... You got those three well potential victims and the, the cross cutting between their scenes and, and then the music ratcheting up. Uh, you know, you knew it was leading to something big. Uh, <laughs> I just absolutely love it. And then when you see people sort of, you know, obviously Judge Cirillo dying and then Commissioner Loeb, and then you go, oh shit, Harvey, Harvey's left. Uh, Harvey's Harvey's, the, left. Harvey's the last. Yeah, Harvey's the the last one. So what what will happen? Um, and then uh, just. Just yeah, when, when Joker crashes the fundraising, like holy crap! That, so oh man, I love that scene so much. I mean, I remember. It's a crazy build up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember they, they released so many, uh, quite a few clips before the film came, out, and that was one of the ones that I watched over and over again because uh, it was so good. Um, mm. And I, I remember, I remember uh, what's his name, Michael Caine, in interviews. He was like. You know, that that was like the first time I saw Heath Ledger as the Joker and he was shocked. <laughs> it was like speechless when wow. he opened that door. So, man, well, what, what an impact. Um, but can you imagine back... someone like Michael Caine, you know, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to yeah. say, you can imagine someone like Michael Caine showing his appreciation and compliment to your performance. Mm. Like, mm. You, know, yeah. you know that you're doing something right. Michael Caine's is... Yeah. Yeah, act of his caliber. I mean, that's... He, he, he's, he's an acting giant himself, right? And it's just crazy to think that yeah. he could he could be flawed in in, in that way. But um, I was going to say yeah. the 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 that that video that uh, the Joker does of of with the um the fake Batman 
Uh, if I'm mm. remembering correctly, I, I believe Heath Ledger actually filmed that. Uh, Nolan, what? Really? Yeah, Nolan trusted him to to film those um, those 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 sort of hostage videos. Um, wow! Which you know, I found absolutely you insane. Mean yeah, the hostage videos. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if you if you know Nolan, he doesn't shoot with a second unit. He does everything himself. Yeah. And he for does him everything to actually himself. Trust. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And for him to trust Ledger with Ledger's, that. Uh, well, he's got the direct directing background and learning from mm. his exhibit that that was something that he always pursued. So one of his short films, which I think you should be able to find online, is a short film where he tells a story playing a chess game. So the chess game is mm. the story, mm. and it's just filming the board and the moves of the different game being played, but it tells the, yeah. And so there's this element of his own, like, behind-the-camera career too, which I, yeah, wow, that's sick. I did not know that at all. That's amazing. Man, oh, you didn't know about amazing. the whole second unit thing? He doesn't do the second unit oh, stuff? I knew the second unit stuff, but I didn't realize that that, like, that scene, for instance, the hostage scene was done mm. by Heath. Mm. Um, yeah, and it makes sense, you know, because yeah, like yeah. what Andy was saying, you if you know that he doesn't shoot with a second unit, it makes sense that he would do that. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty impressive. Mm. Dig it, dude! Ridiculous. How about you, Nathan? This uh, uh, this man, whole scene, I, this whole lead up to Joker. <laughs> it's um, it's a real, and again, if there's anyone else that has that sense of control, it's 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 Bruce Wayne and it's Batman, and I love Bruce's like complete sense of fortitude in what he's going to do so it's, i love that moment where it's like who's you know about the fundraiser with bruce wayne and and i think i think just before he he um knocks out eckhart or he knocks out Harvey <laughs> Dent, he's saying to some little quip shock. about bruce yeah, yeah to rachel and she's like what the heck are you doing and it's like it's fine we gotta go but i also love the bit when he um Right, there's there's the couple hooking up and is and they're like, oh great, you've got a panic room, and then later on he um says I think he says smile beautiful grabs one of the Joker's henchmen's gun and just knocks him out and like takes apart the gun like mid stride and it's mm. just it's peak Batman man like I I just love that I love Batman when he's not wearing his mask mm. and I say Batman not Bruce Wayne like it's like that's just you're just watching Batman right there mm. just moving, um but. Uh, yeah, again, amazing scene. Favorite moment is Heath Ledger taking a sip of champagne and there's nothing in the glass. <laughs> no, no, um, I think there is something in the glass, but I, I just... Oh, he's he already, he like, he, he he already, like, tosses a bit out. It away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that by the time he goes to drain it, it's empty. And it's just, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And, um, and him just, like, swatting around all of the rich, pompous people at the fun rate. It's just good, but I, I do like the other little bit is Batman saving Rachel is very reminiscent of him saving Ra's al Ghul, and I just like that as a little callback. This is sort of... I don't, know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but my issue is when Batman goes to save Rachel, the Joker's still up there doing stuff. Why is it yeah, going? Like, why is weird. it going back up straight away? Like the, he and Rachel sort of lie there, going, "Oh, yeah, are you okay?" And all that sort of thing. I'm like, get up there again. The joke is still there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, that is uh, a bit jarring, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It's like when you pick apart that scene where he just jumps off and says Rachel, and good on him for saving Rachel. When you pick up at that scene, you're like, "Yeah, you're right." Why is like Joker is still up there, and he could just slaughter everybody right now? Mm. And what is he doing after that? Like, what is he? What is he up to after after that whole scene? But um, it's um, it, it's kind of that 
the sort of lost of um, lost opportunity for a honeymoon with her. They just spend their little time <laughs> on the top of the car. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, very romantic. <laughs> yeah, very romantic. Also, whatever memory cloth he has is amazing because he should hundred percent be dead. <laughs> There's not enough windfall stop stoppage there to fall that high off a building <laughs> and land very on a car. Really. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a very impressive cape. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah, his cape, his cape's a magical, magical <laughs> item. <laughs> he must have like landed on the uh, on the whoopee cushion, part of his bat belt. That's that's what. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't, we don't see it though. They cut that bit out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's in the deleted scenes. Uh, um, so the next day, a public service um, memorial memorial was held for the late Kim Cholob. So Kim Cholob. Commissioner yeah. Loeb, yeah. yeah. Named, named after oh, writer, comic book writer Jeff Loeb. Oh, is it actually? Yeah. No way, I didn't know that. That, that blows my mind. Because Jeff Loeb, like, you know, the first time I learned about Jeff Loeb was actually the Smallville series, because he mm. was heavily involved with that as well. With the writing team? They really named it after him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um... So beforehand, the Joker and his henchmen strip the ceremonial arms of their uniforms, tie them up, blindfold, and gag them into Mal, uh, gag them in Malvin White's apartment. At the ceremony, the Joker, with his henchmen all disguised as the ceremonial arms, shoots at Mayor Garcia during the twenty-one gun salute. Gordon jumps in front of the Garcia and is shot in the back, saving Garcia. The memorial breaks into chaotic riot, and the Joker and his men disappear into it. One of them is Thomas Schiff, a paranoid schizophrenic, is shot by the police and is handcuffed in an ambulance about to be arrested. Dent manages to capture Schiff by hijacking the ambulance so that he can interrogate him about the Joker. Meanwhile, Moroni is captured in a club and interrogated by Batman, for the Joker's location. As Batman holds him off the side of the building on a fire escape landing, uh, Moroni arrogantly points out that the fall would not <laughs> would be non-fatal. Batman simply <laughs> replies, I'm counting on it, and drops him. <laughs> Injuring Moroni's legs. <laughs> Moroni claims to not know the Joker's location, that no one will cross him for Batman because the Joker has no rules, whereas Batman will not kill. He then tells Batman that the only way he'll find the Joker is if he gives in to his demands and lets the Joker come and find him. So we got the we got the location, such a beautiful location, by the way, Chicago, such a great backdrop for Gotham City. We get all the police officers lined up in the street. There's like hundreds maybe thousands of them in the street and they're all there to honor Loeb um and his passing and then all of that gets interrupted by um gunshots directly to Mayor Garcia but we it doesn't actually go to Mayor Garcia it's actually going to Commissioner Gordon and and we see his sort of apparent death and apparent assassination in that whole scene. So, you know, the thing that I like about this scene, one of my favorite moments, well, not my favorite moment, but one of my favorite camera shots of the film is when the camera goes a little bit higher away from the street, and then when the gunshots go off, you see all the police officers disperse. I was like, wow, that is a shot. I was like, 
Damn. The, scatter- the scattering. Oh, the man. scattering. Yeah. It's just so, it's it's such a small moment, but it's yeah. that small moment is so powerful that it it seems like a long moment where or a long camera shot. Yeah. Um, and, and this just goes to the skill of Wally Fister and also the genius visionary that is Crispin Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he so, loves it so much he brings it back in Dark Knight Rises with the cops. Oh, first yeah, the cops in the yeah, streets. Lo- and, uh, yeah. and even I think it's like them with their gloves. Like yeah. I think their white gloves. There's just this element of something surreal about that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, There's just good contrasting, great color, color grading in this whole... I mean, the whole movie is great color grading, but it is just mm. this particular scene. I just love this aerial shot of yeah. seeing the cops first, and then it comes back to it once the gunshot happens, and then they disperse. I'm like, wow! I want. Mm. I could just watch that on repeat. Um, I'll throw it over to you, Andy. This whole scene. Yeah, no. I uh, just just adding on to what you've been saying, River. I mean, you get that great sense of scale, isn't it? And the fact that th- these these are real extras they've got, um, and, yeah, and to, yeah. to wrangle that many people, like holy. Like just wow! <laughs> like it's it's worth it though, right? You see that you just you see that you see that shot in the film, and you're like, whoa! You know, shit's going down. <laughs> um, yeah, shit's going yeah. down. But I'm just impressed by the camera shots. <laughs> 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 you're paying attention to the wrong thing there, River. <laughs> I know. Yeah, guys, we're not superhero nerds today. We're Nolan nerds today. Nolan we're nerds today. Nolan mm. nerds. We're Nolan nerds. <laughs> We can't look at uh, the simple lens of superheroes. <laughs> uh, but it's great. I mean, it's interesting as well. Like, like, this is, I think, this is the only time you see the Joker without his, his makeup on. Um, and I'm surprised yeah. that no one else... Because, you, you know, you still see the, the sort of that Glasgow smile he has, you know, all the scars. And I'm surprised that no one sort of points him out going, oh, that's a bit strange. <laughs> like, why is, that, why is that guy? If you put makeup on him, does it yeah. look like the Joker? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that, that that's a, I suppose, a more minor, minor, minor gripe I have. <laughs> yeah. I like to do this thing. I, I told Nathan about this, maybe in the last cast or the previous cast, I like to do this thing where you got to apply movie logic. Right? Movie logic, this, yeah. You know, you you always have to have movie logic <laughs> acceptance, and you know, sometimes you just can't you can't nitpick everything. You nitpick everything, the whole movie will literally fall apart. <laughs> no, let's, no, let's, that's true. Let's do it that's for the true. scene, guys. Let's do it for the scene because <laughs> because here we have the Joker trying to kill. Is it the mayor? He's trying the to kill the mayor. The mayor. He's the mayor, trying to kill yeah. the mayor, and Commissioner Gordon takes a bullet, intentionally fakes his death. In order mm. that Batman and um, Batman and Harvey Dent can then set up, hopefully, an opportunity for the Joker to reveal himself to try and kill Harvey Dent. When Harvey mm. Dent reveals that his Batman, a fake reveal, and then in that chase, Commissioner Gordon then has the chance to take the Joker, who has already planned. <laughs> That he'd be imprisoned and would have an opportunity to escape. See, that's like oh, seven no. jumps of movie logic just to get to that point. So, it's, yeah, yeah, it's True. fine. It's fine. True. It's enjoyable. It's fine. <laughs> just yeah. don't try and don't I, try and think like like try and think like the Joker, but try and organize your life and be like, all right, I've got to plan all these things. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, it'd be so stressful. <laughs> I mean, the, the way I kind of saw it is, like, the Joker has sort of a, a rough plan, right? So his, his end goal is to get into uh, get into jail. Um, 
Yeah. I suppose the, the the details that's more malleable. Like he'll adapt his situation. So in this case, he's like, oh no, Gordon's uh, Gordon's dead. Let, let's let's focus on Harvey Dent now. I suppose, right? I think that's how he thinks. Like he's not necessarily yeah. planning out everything exactly. It's more he's rolling with the punches, and he's got so many contingencies that no matter what, he'll end up where he needs to be. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good I, point. I mean, he's uh, very adaptable. Oh, yeah. You go, River. Sorry. I was just saying he's uh, very adaptable to a situation, regardless of what's going to go down. He has an end goal. And so whether mm. or not it's going to be Commissioner Gordon that goes down, even if he didn't go down, he'll still have a way to try and get to that ultimate goal, mm. which is to mm. get in jail. Mm. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was thinking, um, and this might be insightful of him, is the word opportunistic. Mm. Even the line with the uh, the overly ammunition bank manager with the shotguns <laughs> where the guy's like he's like he's out right and he's like mm-hmm. and then he's like where did you learn to count but also it happens as well with the pencil trick where he's like uh, he says do you want to see a magic trick he puts down the pencil and then one of the mobsters comes at him and then he does the pencil trick and makes the, the pencil disappear it it's this opportunistic moment for anarchy which enables him to continue his plans Mm. And and I guess that is something that Nolan is always buying on. There's an and and I think after watching the Prestige, you have that same sense of the art of misdirect. This art mm. of an ability to do something with this hand while also doing something with the hand you can't see. Yeah. And that's that's the Joker's persona as well. He's a magician mm. and an entertainer, um, and Gotham's his stage. So mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is about misdirect at, at this point. You're right. Like, in this whole act two, Joker is trying his hardest. Well, I don't know if he is he's trying his hardest, but he's probably just doing what he normally does. <laughs> and he misdirects not just the viewers, but also everybody that he's actually has under control. Mm. Um, mm. And he's just pulling the strings the entire time. So, meanwhile, Dent, after seeing Shift's name tag, which reads, Official, uh, official officer Rachel Dawes calls Rachel and tells her that the Joker has named her next, the Joker's next target. He tells her to go to anyone she can trust, which she claims is Bruce. Dense interrogation of Schiff is interrupted by Batman, who reprimands him for his reckless and unruly actions. Realizing um, what is happening, Bruce. Uh, as Batman states to Dent that he needs to reveal who he truly is in order to save Gotham and stop the Joker's murders. Dent holds a press conference the next day and announces that Batman needs to be taken into custody. In the crowd, Bruce is about to step forth, but before he can do so, Dent publicly claims that he is Batman as part of a ruse to draw the Joker out of hiding. Rachel is upset with Bruce not interfering or admitting that Dent is not Batman that he is. She leaves Alfred a note to give Bruce when the time is right. Um, mm. Man, Rachel is she's she's so you know she's just so annoying. Like, uh, like Rachel, can you not see the bigger picture here? It's not about you, all right. It's not about your feelings. Who cares about your shitty like feelings classic, towards classic Nolan? Classic Nolan and his writing of strong female characters, right? He just has to go kill them off. He can't handle it for too long, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but like, she's like, she she becomes this kind of, um, you know, very. We talk about it a lot in the cast, by the way, Andy. Uh, Nolan's uh, 
use of female characters. And I use the word use because it's not very good. (laughs) Yeah, they're not exactly very powerful. But hey, who knows? Maybe in his new film, Open High, what was it called? Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yeah, maybe in his new film, Oppenheimer, we have a lead female character that's quite strong. But he had a black, yeah. he had a black antagon- um, protagonist. So you know, anything. The protagonist. And he was literally <laughs> called the protagonist. The protagonist. He couldn't give a name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when Rachel was so, when Rachel was like so bitchy about this whole thing. I'm like, really seriously? Like, what? Wait, they're trying to take down a psychopath called the Joker. Can you just like leave your feelings aside for a second? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a bit of a thing for me in this film. Um, but how do you guys make out this whole thing with uh, Harvey Dent taking the fall for being the Batman just temporarily? He doesn't know how long he's going to be the Batman for, mm-hmm. and he's just going to do what is necessary to draw the Joker out. Um, and then we find out later that Commissioner Gordon has been a part of this whole plan. It's very much in character. Mm. Yeah, it's very much in his character, right? Uh, I mean, Mm. just, I suppose, taking it a a step back, I mean, I love the fact that when he's, um, uh, what's it, he's interrogating that Joker goon, that, you know, when he flips the coin, uh, and we later find out it's a a double-headed coin. I thought, that's quite... Uh, I, I quite like that aspect. Um, you know, like, and as he says, he he makes his own luck, right? So he everything he does is is That's from right. his own effort, his own skill, um, and he's confident enough that he can get it his way if he just puts he puts the work in. So I, I really love that aspect yeah. of the character, uh, and, and the fact that it, 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 it like I just love how things are introduced and then they pay off later. Uh, so you're you're paying yeah. close enough attention, and you're, you're very much rewarded in that sense. So yeah, yeah, I, 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 I just great a great sort of look into Harvey Dent and and who he is. Yeah, peeling back the layers for someone like Harvey Dent because he's definitely mm. someone who has a lot more than just um, uh, sort of see these sort of set values as a leader for a city that um, needs this kind of leader. But he's also someone who is willing to do whatever's necessary. <laughs> Um, mm. But he's not. He doesn't want to show his true cards of what he's willing to do necessary, and that's why you know his transition into the Two Face. I think is one of the best transitions I've seen from someone going from hero to villain um, yeah. in kind of any film, really. To be honest, mm. um, what about you, Nathan? Um, with this interrogation scene with uh, Thomas Schiff, who, by the way, is a great actor. His name is um, David. Awesome. David. Da- oh, that's now she is. Say it again. Das Malshian, I believe. Das Malshian, yeah. He's, he's the Russian yeah. in uh, Ant-Man, right? He is. Yeah, yeah he appears in Ant-Man, yeah. Um, but the first I time I actually it. saw I him, it. first time I saw this, this so actor films. was in um, Prisoners, actually. So, oh, um, yeah. like, I did obviously realize that he's in The Dark Knight, but I didn't play close attention to him until I saw him in The Prisoners. Yeah. Don't Great hear. film, by the way. Yeah, I'm really keen. I just watched Arrival last night, so I'm very keen. Oh, oh boy. Um, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, on, on that front, again, um, yeah, themes. Nolan and his themes is on it. What's a person's breaking point? What's the line that they will um, not cross or will end up crossing if they come to that breaking point? Very similar to, um, uh, is it one, um, one Bad Day? 
um, with the is it Killing Joke with the Killing Joke the Killing the, Joke the the one um one bad day it only takes one bad day oh mm, um, for mm. someone to reach their breaking point mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's the thesis for one of um the more infamous uh, Batman Joker comics but the intention around Harvey Dent's character is that at this point in the in the story we have a threat to Rachel and that that is where it's leading this guy and and like he has no intention of shooting this guy but he wants the guy to think he does he mm-hmm. is like when he says you know you're leaving up to, to luck it's like not quite it's never going to be tails he's never going to mm-hmm. shoot him mm-hmm. but he's going to scare him in a very similar way to the way Batman uses fear mm-hmm. however the breaking point of Rachel's death is that line being crossed and suddenly he he his his coin is marked and he actually has the space to call tails mm-hmm. um and it's it's almost his permission mm-hmm. to enable uh what would be called it's not chaotic justice it's actually ordered justice in his mind but That's to us right. it would be chaotic justice a 50-50 mm-hmm. chance at right and wrong isn't right <laughs> it isn't <laughs> justice it's 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 incorrect it's yeah. um not the way that these things work and 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 you see it play out so fantastically <laughs> when he flips the coin twice later on and shoots the driver. We'll get That's to right. that. My yeah. goodness, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think this scene this scene is just great for for developing Harvey in the same way that mm. we've had Joker's development too. Um, and 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 you get more and more of like that sense of unhinged and the hospital scene is. Oh, chef's oh, kiss. Man. So we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And we're very, very close to that. Um, what, what, what I will say just before we move on to this next part, which is the um, into the lower fifth uh, sequence, you know, with the whole uh, car chase sequence in the truck. Um, just before we in, get into that, I do want to say that with um, Two-Face or his transition into Two-Face in this interrogation scene is that we get to see the first kind of maniacal reaction that we see much more later as Two-Face. You know, yeah. the, when when he's yelling at Batman as Batman's walking out and he says, you can't give in, you can't give in, or you can't give in, you can't give in. I'm like, whoa. Like <laughs> the, way, the way the camera just stays on him as Batman is walking away, but it just stays on Two-Face. You don't see Batman walk away, but you know yeah. that he's walking away. His and eyes he are popping. Like, his eyes are popping. It looks like he's just taking the dose of like, ecstasy or something i'm like holy this yeah. guy his his, the, his flip you know his like emotional flip is insane i'm like yeah. wow he, he can go from zero to 100 this guy in no sweat yeah. so it's really good to see that um that breadcrumb and then that breadcrumb just becomes more and more mm. as the movie goes on mm. so um arrested on route and relocation dense swat van transport is ambushed by a garbage truck and a semi-trailer driven by the joker and his thugs the semi-truck originally printed with the word laughter on its side <laughs> is now <laughs> decorated by the joker with a spray painted s before the l to read slaughter as well as ha 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 <laughs> oh man i actually i didn't pick up the slaughter retag on the on the truck until I think it was the second screening. I was like, "Oh, it says slaughter." But it's of... not just—it's not just that. It, it's 
it says originally laughter is the best medicine. Oh, mm. yes, it does. So You're that's right. And yeah. so it's like, it's a, oh man, it's slaughter is the best wow. medicine. That's so Which much to just read in brings that it messaging. to a depth, you know, like, <laughs> oh, chills, bro. That's chills. That's real chills. I mean, they they sort of underscore this crazy character Joker more and more throughout the film. Mm. Um, so the real Batman arrives in the Batmobile, crashing the garbage truck and driving to the rescue. Uh, the Joker failingly attempts to kill Dent during the transport with multiple firearms. Then using an RPG, he fires Dent's van, <laughs> but his shot is um, intercepted by the Batmobile, causing it so to good. crash with irreparable damage. Here, Batman takes on his secondary transportation, the Batpod, which bursts out of the front of the self-destructing Batmobile. Batman successfully stops the Joker's truck with the cables by flipping it upside down. As the Joker climbs out of the flipped semi, he stands in the middle of the road yelling, Hit me! Hit me! Hit me! <laughs> at, the, at the fast approaching Bat Pod, but Batman is forced to crash in order to avoid killing the Joker, honor, honoring his no-kill policy, and lays wounded on the ground. Suddenly, Gordon, who faked his death and had actually been driving Dent's transportation van, sneaks up behind the Joker and arrests him. Okay, so this whole night sequence where they're doing this whole chase sequence from and Lower Fifth, I think is what they call it, and in real life it's called Lower Whacker, you know, for your information. <laughs> in mm. Chicago, this, this mm. underground road is called Lower Whacker. Um, they call it Lower Fifth in the film. Uh, this whole chase sequence between the Joker and Batman, and then we see Commissioner Gordon come into the fray a little bit later. This is probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. And I would actually say particularly the truck, <laughs> the way the truck flips, and there's mm. a silent moment when you see the truck flip, like yeah. perfect, perfect timing or editing, I suppose, with taking the score out so you can have a breath to take in this crazy truck flip. It's what I, to me, is like actually one of the best parts of the film, this whole chase sequence. Mm. And they, Andy, they did that for real, which I love. They did yeah. it for real. This is a Nolan thing. Yeah, you know? mm. he does it for. Do you know yeah. how they did the truck flip sequence? By the way, they so they obviously rigged the the truck. Um, and what they did, I think it's some sort of piston or something that gets released, and it sort of pushes part of the truck down. And then uh, I can't remember if they had wires to assist or not. Uh, but they, but essentially they had to be careful because they didn't yeah because they didn't want the the truck to obviously go to the sides and, and, and crash into the buildings. But otherwise, I mean the, the the fact that they they had a truck and they they you know were willing to do that is crazy, right? And and then you got the chase <laughs> itself before that that was all real. Um, and even mm. the 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 um the bat pod ejecting out of the tumbler. Uh, they actually tried to do that for real, and they they managed to do that. But unfortunately. The, the mechanism was a bit too slow, so they replaced it in CG. Uh, but yeah. the fact that they even, you know, Nolan was like, I need that to happen, and then they, they worked it out, and they did it, is mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's crazy. And that's, like, all, all of Nolan films, when he does physical effects, mm. and he maybe touches up with a little bit of CG in post, you just don't know which parts are CG anymore. Mm. And... I mean, that's that's great in filmmaking, you know, when you can't tell which parts are CG and everything just looks damn real. I mean, that's that's mm. the power of mm. it, or better use of CG. 
Um, Nathan, what did you think about this whole sequence? Smack bang in the middle of the film. Smack bang. <laughs> it's my favorite, almost, maybe tied with another underground scene in Civil War. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, but, yeah, um, true. But, yeah. but I really do feel that that scene with Black Panther, Winter Soldier, Captain America, and later on Falcon and, uh, and Rhodey, is paying homage to this scene. Um, I love this scene also. I, I can't remember. One of my mates, I remember when I was growing up, after watching this, like, we used to laugh so hard at Commissioner Gordon's uh, partner in his in his car. And it's, <laughs> his like, because the whole scene, Gordon's just, like, dead quiet because you, you're not supposed to think it's him. And you're not kind of supposed to think much of him, but there is a bit of an oddness to him. And, like, to kind of mm. pave it off, you have this extra who just says every single freaking corny line in every single, like, police cop action movie while in this chase scene. And it's so funny. I, I um, yeah, I think it's just a, such a fantastic little moment. I think the start with, um, I think it, I think it is with the, with the truck driver and, um, the Joker jumping over him in the truck and shooting, like one of the the bystanders, like who's pulling over the truck, like just sets this pace, this excellent thriller moment. Yeah, just one. Of, yeah, easily one of the best car chase scenes of all time in cinema. And mm. oh, at, like again, bat is it is it called the bat pod? Yeah, like the Batmobile, the bat, pod, yeah. bat pod. Um, just everything you want. Uh, it it did slightly cheapen the Batmobile a bit for me when it's like oh. It can just kind of get taken apart with an RPG. <laughs> that was a little bit immersion, like comparatively to the first movie. But um, like you know, like it. Oh, either way, fantastic, fantastic oh, yeah. scene. It's yeah. great. I mean, I, I love the bat pod, and I, I love the way that he uses the bat pod in here. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to use it in in crazy acrobatic ways, but I love that that moment when he he fires the the cables underneath <laughs> the truck. And then he's weaving around the uh, lampposts. Mm. You know, he's going zigzag. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess he's just going to use this to try and, like, flip the truck. And then sure enough, he goes to the wall and he does that cool flip on the wall. I'm yeah, like, oh, no ridiculous. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I yelled again in the cinema. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's so cool. It's so nuts. It's like, when it's, do you have time to practice riding that thing, bro? I know, right? Like, when it's does he have best. time to practice, like, fli- like you know, riding on a wall and then doing this cool little turnaround? And, yeah. and by the way, by the way, it's a little bit of a nitpick, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure he was going at 100 miles an hour like, towards the wall, but whatever. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. That's it's like if, there's fi- like, if you really analyze the physics, I'm like, huh, I don't think the wheel does that on a, on a 45, de- on a 90 degree angle, but you whatever. Imagine like Christopher <laughs> Nolan with some hot wheels showing them on the things like, this is what I want it to do. And like, oh. okay, Christopher Nolan, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, sure. We won't. Um, we'll just throw physics out the window here. <laughs> that's fine movie logic movie logic movie logic movie logic we're gonna jump a little bit because you know we are kind of running like a lot of time here but we're gonna jump a little bit we're gonna jump to the interrogation scene you know the interrogation scene with joker and the Mm. batman who is left uh, they're left to their own devices jim gordon here decides to just like okay whatever i'm I'm not gonna deal with this psychopath i'm just gonna get batman to deal with this batman shows up 
a bad cop, as bad cop in the interrogation room behind the Joker, which, by the way, if we're talking about image stills, you know, image stills for a film, this yeah. is one of the most beautiful image stills I've ever seen in my life where yeah. Batman is standing behind the Joker. I'm like, oh, I want to get that blown up onto a photo, I mean, onto a poster or something, so then it can be this crazy poster that I have on my wall. But um, this interrogation scene, it's it's short. It's a very short, sharp, but one of the most brilliantly constructed interrogation scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. I want to throw it over to you, Andy. Tell me about the interrogation scene here. Oh, I love it. This is my favorite scene of the whole film. Uh, just Ooh, everything about yeah. it, yeah. Because you, you see the, the, the power dynamic shift, right? So it starts off with... Um, Gordon and, and Batman having the, the the power in the scene, right? Because they're the ones that they've mm. got um, the Joker all locked up. But then, as it goes on, uh, you, it clearly shifts to the Joker. Um, even though he's still locked up, he's the one that that is in control there. So, um, I don't know if you know about the uh, the, the one eighty rule in film or filmmaking. Um, it's when you know when you shoot no, two me. two people talk. Yeah, so you you film two people talking, and in order to not look like uh, oh, I mean, I'm not describing it very well, but it's it's the way you sort of um, have the camera angled, um, and you don't cross this sort of imaginary line, so it doesn't look like um, oh the, no, the yeah, two people yeah, are sorry, sort of I shifting positions, yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but 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 they deliberately break it in this scene. I'm like, wow, mm. I, I've you know, I've th- that's that's crazy, and it, it, they do it at the point where the joke is getting the upper hand, um, and mm. and, and then and then you get the. You know, and and before that, it's all this sort of steady camera or handheld camera, and it, it's very smooth. But then, once Batman starts to get angry, it's all handheld and frenetic, um, and That's and right. it's just the the whole mood just shifts. Uh, it's mm. just oh man, I, I I I love it, love it so much. Do you think? Do you think that's it's at a point the reason why Nolan decided to, um, you know, go from really steady. Uh, camera framing and stuff and then mm. when it gets to the point where batman grabs joker pulls him over the desk um mm. and it becomes a little bit unsettled in the camera shots uh, do you think that's intentional because he wants to get a perspective he wants the viewers to get a perspective of how batman is feeling because he, he feels helpless i mean he feels completely yeah. disarmed because the Joker has put him in this position where he's not going to give him anything he wants and he needs him to break his rule. And so when you get these like unsettling camera shots, almost quite close up to both of the characters, mm-hmm. it does feel unsettling for me as a viewer. I'm like, ah, oh, this is not good. You know, Batman just mm-hmm. has no, he, he, he has no power right now. And mm-hmm. Joker's completely in control. Um, it's such a brilliant way of, of, of camera work. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Batman's clearly rattled, right? I mean, he, it, it's, it's, mm. it's gotten personal now. Rachel's involved. Um, and, and, I mean, yeah. the Joker doesn't quite know it yet, but he's, he's hit a nerve. Um, yeah. It's just masterful. Love, love the, the, how the whole, whole scene plays out. Yeah. Well, Nathan? It's, it's very Lex, Lex Luthor to Superman too, where the mind games are now starting, where mm. you're completely at the mercy of this man who can absolutely tear you to shreds, who has a golden rule of not killing, but also you have an ammunition in blackmail. And yet, mm. like even in this scene, Joker uses 
and is still in control. He he gives the wrong addresses. He switches the addresses, mm. and he does it in such a way that it 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 also is an element of frazzling for Batman and. Mm. Batman's frazzling is also part of what leads to Joker's escape. He smashes him against the win- the the mirror, which gives him the shard to attack the to, police uh, officer. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, Batman's own downfall. Mm. And I <laughs> I do love him slamming his head on the table and saying, "It's not very good for me- is it memory?" He says, "Let's <laughs> not oh, going to yeah. Let me jug your memory." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it's oh wait, yeah. Doesn't he say it's like it, it's a um, oh, it's something to do with like losing the feeling in his hand or something. Yeah, yeah, like Cause, slams cause when his he, head down. Yeah, never, when he never start with the head. head he's, yeah, he says like, "See, mm. like, like I lose all the feeling or something in <laughs> in my hand or whatever." When he slams his head, mm. yeah. oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty. It's it's a pretty unsettling scene, but it's also one of the oh, like you're right, Andy. One of the best scenes in the film. Yeah. Um, and we get to hear that very menacing laugh that he has that laugh that i've always tried my best to try and emulate but i cannot give do it, it give it a shot give it a, give it a shot right now. <laughs> no, no, no. i need i need i need to do my vocal warm-ups to be able to do this yeah, yeah. like i can't all right you know, give us it give, just... give us a give us a jared leto instead I cannot remember Jared Leto. <laughs> Jared, <laughs> Jared, doesn't he, yeah, doesn't he just go... Squad? I thought you uh, loved that movie. Uh, you went to the movies uh, ten times to watch Suicide Squad. Isn't that his laugh? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably that. Seems pretty easy. Whereas, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker's laugh. Holy shit. It is insane. Yeah, it is insane. And it's one of the most memorable audios like uh, audible cues, I suppose, for a film like this. Mm. It is absolutely amazing. And I, I do love, um, you know, the, the dialogue that they have between each other. It's it's not complicated and it's not uber intelligent, but it's it's also just very smart dialogue between the two of them. You know, mm. uh, Joker breaks it down to him and he makes Batman think for a moment that, you know, the people that are, you're surrounded with, they're all just corrupt people. You know, he makes him think for a moment. When you, when you look at the way the camera goes back onto, camera's rea- uh, onto Batman's reaction, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe you're onto something. Maybe you're right. You know, the police are corrupt. And when the chips are down, um, these civilized uh, people will eat each other. And he's, he's right, you know, like everybody's, mm-hmm. like he's kind of foreshadowing the inevitable uh, ending that Harvey Dent has, which is when the chips are down, um, he he is one of those people who are willing to eat each other, eat the people around him. Um, so it's such great dialogue between the two of them. Mm. When when Joker eventually reveals like the location of Harvey Dent and Rachel, you know he intentionally mixes up the locations so he can really show um, how vulnerable Bruce Wayne and Batman can be in this kind mm. of dire situation and it's pretty sad to see rachel Dawes like die in this way <laughs> you know she yeah. you could say that she she sort of dies for the cause i suppose but she kind of dies um without volunteering <laughs> uh, i think there's this there's kind of a moment where she's like oh okay okay you know she tries to sort of play the calm victim um and i think she's doing her best you know and harvey dent's just going crazy over there trying to um, gather yeah. his his sensibilities um 
but he's just he's just going nuts. He's going completely mm. nuts when when Batman shows up to to rescue him. Um, yeah. yeah, great moments of escalation for sure. Um, back at the MCU, the Joker provokes the detective into attacking him and uses him as a human shield as he walks into the interrogation room. Then, with the help of a cell phone bomb implanted in one of the thugs, he escapes with Lau in tow. Gordon is distraught when he heard that the Joker had wanted to be captured. Alfred reads the letter Rachel left, which says that he was going to marry Harvey and couldn't wait anymore for Bruce. Um, he was going to give it to Bruce, but seeing him in grief, he decides not to. Bruce feels guilty for the death of Rachel and for what has happened to Dent, stating he is Gotham's true hero. And Alfred tells him that Gotham will have to make do with a Batman. Uh, sorry, have to make do with Batman. Bruce also states he knew Rachel would have waited for him to stop being Batman and that he would have been together or that he would have been together so that is the end of act two uh, pretty much the entire plot all in act two when we get into act three this is when um the last plans of joker come into play you know mm-hmm. this is when sort of the crescendo you could say for ja- for joker's plans they all get revealed um harvey Dent eventually goes into his demise as uh, Two Face, when he's when half of his body is blown to shreds and taken, <laughs> half of his body is actually uh, shredded down to the bone, which is pretty disgusting. Really good mm. visual effects, by the way, for crazy for, good visuals for Harvey Dent. Yeah, really, really and crazy. Again, he has like there's such a great little tension moment where the whole hospital scene leading up to him finally revealing his face is like mm. it's just increments of like just a glimpse of half his face like just the tiniest glimpse before it cuts oh, away man. and it's just yeah. really again in like in the same way as the the marking of the um of um the the black mob boss like you just exactly you know what's coming and then finally he has the reveal and it's just oh yeah excellent 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 cgi really good editing really good editing really good cgi yeah so in the Gotham General Hospital, Dent is driven to badness over the loss of Rachel, which he blames on Batman, Gordon, and the Joker. Gordon is curious as to why Dent, despite the massive injuries, refuses to have skin grafts or medication. <laughs> why would you refuse to have skin grafts and medi- medication, hey? Why would you? Is it because you're going to become a maniacal villain by the end of it? Because <laughs> you want to drink wine uh, and let it fall out of your face as you drink it. <laughs> no, he drinks... Uh, <laughs> What does he drink? No, it's a uh, whiskey. Oh, sorry, not whiskey. I think it's like vodka or whatever. whiskey. Yeah, I yeah, I very similar said. to like Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. a scene of the Pirates of the Caribbean when he's um drinking the red wine. Yeah, that's Jeffrey right. Rum. Yeah, that's mm. Jeffrey we'll get to Rush. that on the legacy. The rum. <laughs> rum. Um, so when Gordon asks if he knows who took him captive, Dent replies by asking, why would you listen to me now? He demands Gordon to say the nickname the cops gave him. Gordon reveals to be Harvey Two-Face. Turning his head to face the now horrified Gordon, Dent replies with, why should I hide, uh, who am I? Or why should I hide who I am? Mm. So this Mm. is, I guess, the first introduction and the first reveal to Two-Face. Pretty scary. You know, I actually didn't notice that he, when he's screaming just before Gordon gets in to the hospital bed, when he's screaming, he rips the um, 
the bandages? what do you call it the one like of the, the gauze the gauze they're, they're called like um i don't the know go- a medical term for it sorry was that like go ahead, medi- Andy? oh yeah andy no the, the, yeah no, i think I, yeah I, gauze I like or, the, or bandages wasn't it yeah 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 Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the gauze bandage. Like, yeah, he actually rips it off when he's screaming just before the mm. uh, the shot is cut. I actually didn't realize that until later. That's pretty. Uh, can you imagine like screaming that loud and then just like uh, ripping to shreds? Uh, <laughs> I guess he's you know he's compounding his pain, right? He 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 feels as though there's, there's nothing. He can't lose anything else. <laughs> so may as well yeah. make him feel as bad as he can. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing to mm. lose now. Like, what else? Mm. He's like, that's kind of the tipping point, I suppose. And especially what Joker's yeah. talking about how madness is, as you know, like gravity, all it needs is a little push. Which, by the way, I don't think that's how gravity works. <laughs> uh. I think he's just talking about like, like the objects, I think, and you push. Yeah. In yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, just, I thought that was a little bit funny when he said gravity uh, and the way he uses that. Anyway. Man, so Moroni realizing his mistakes tips Gordon off on the Joker's meeting with the Chechen at the Gotham docks and the police get ready to arrest two of them. Coleman Reese, Wayne Enterprises lawyer, finds out that Bruce is Batman and plans to reveal it on television. The Joker burns Lau on top of his share of mob money and double crosses and kills Chechen, <laughs> vowing that the city deserves a better class of criminal and I'm going to give it to them. Um, he then publicly states that he no longer cares about killing Batman because he is too much fun, <laughs> and that if Reese not killed, that if Reese not killed to oh, wait, sorry, I'm just not even reading the right sentence, <laughs> that if uh, uh, Reese not killed to prevent Batman's secret from slipping, then he will blow up a hospital. Gordon is forced to turn his back on the Joker temporarily to focus on protecting Reese, evacuating all the hospitals. All hospitals begin immediate evacuation, and Gordon, with the help of, from Bruce, manages to save Reese, Reese from getting killed by angry civilians. Now, this is actually like such a genius way to take the story in this direction of using, like, using the things that human beings in this city care about such as a hospital like what a genius idea i i never would have saw seen that coming you know and it makes mm. a lot of sense in the hospital you're bound to have relatives you're bound to you know have friends or something in and mm. something like a general hospital mm. but then also it plays on the consciousness of human beings that if you blow up a hospital i mean that's like the biggest that's like the biggest sin that you would ever do. Like you're blowing up a mm. hospital, you know, forget about blowing up the houses of parliament, blow up a hospital. Cause everyone's going to care about that for sure. No one's going to care about government buildings. <laughs> yeah. and, well, this is where we get, we get to another Nolanism, which we've talked about in prior casts, which is the, uh, the corrupt cop. But mm. here it, it and and you never notice this on the first viewing, but watching it again on this viewing, you start to note all these very small stories that are being told between Commissioner Gordon and his cops and people that have those they love in the hospital and mm. how the Joker's already gotten to them before like so much of this has even started. Mm. But Ramirez specifically and one of the other cops too, you just you you suddenly realise this is their Rachel Dawes moment, this is their breaking point. This is the thing that, mm. like Batman, like Bruce Wayne, like Harvey Dent, 
they had their moment where they would be like, nah, this is too far. And now suddenly everyone's mm. in that in that situation. And all they have to do is kill someone else. Not even Batman this time, just kill a civilian. So heavy. Mm. Um, human nature is yeah. what's at stake yeah. here, you know? Uh, again, kind of like a rival. It's all about humanity. <laughs> human nature is very fragile. You know, we're mm. a very fragile species. Mm. Um, Andy, what do you have to say about this thought? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's just another great scene, isn't it? As you've pointed out, the the Joker using a hospital, well, just targeting. Yeah, he targets one hospital, but but obviously, naturally, you don't know which tar- hospital he's targeting, and so Gordon's left to evacuate all of them, and and the Joker preying on on people's in- vulnerabilities and insecurities. Uh, it's, it's genius, but um, I mean, it's I suppose genius, just. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, from from a production standpoint, the fact that they they found a building to blow up and they did blow it up. <laughs> no, <yeah>. right. <laughs> just another thing. It's just like, what on earth? <laughs> like, how on earth yeah. do you? It's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, and they So I'm not too sure if you know they they found a. It's a. I think it was a former candy factory, and it was slated for for demolition anyway. So they bought that. Um, make sure they had a whole bunch of cameras around to make sure that you know because you can only do it at once right it's not like you can reset the building <laughs> so uh, man it's just one and done oh <laughs> unbelievable can you imagine can you imagine being one of the cameramen you know and <laughs> you're standing man, screwing you're standing up on one side. <laughs> yeah and you're like the, the building blows up you're like oh, yeah guys i actually ran out of battery of my camera <laughs> I ran out of film. <laughs> ran out of film. Yeah, ran out of can film. you imagine <laughs> the pressure that you'll be under? Yeah. And I'd hate to be under that kind of pressure. I'd be like, oh my god, okay, we blow up this. We just not like we can do reshoots for this. Um, and Nolan definitely wouldn't want to re- to reshoot it in post by using visual effects. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I better I either like make sure I'm super prepared and on my game, or I just say goodbye to my career after this. <laughs> 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 yeah it's such a great scene i love it the explosions are, are crazy and they use like so c4 and a bunch of like concrete uh what is it no concrete powder bags or something like that they use to as explosions inside the levels and stuff then they planted oh them gosh. all around the building yeah i just remember That's watching the crazy it's absolutely insane and so one thing to also point out before we move on to the next part one thing to point out for the joker he actually improvised the um the detonation thing because it wasn't actually working the detonation so no that's actually he... a myth oh is it a myth yeah it's Ooh. a myth so i mean wow. with any okay any sort of... educate yeah, so us we, we... With, with this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> so so with any sort of i mean this this applies to any sort of film with a big detonation sequence like that you know everything is planned out to the second um and so yeah. they they, the reason why you, you sort of have him sort of, you know, oh, no, why doesn't it work, that sort of thing, is to ensure that they had enough time to get Heath Ledger out of the building before they did the big uh, big explosion. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, otherwise, I mean, we don't know if, yeah, but otherwise the, the, it was planned to, to have a delay. There was meant to be a delay in the explosion there. Right, right, right. That's well, did he, did he improvise how he reacted? Maybe... Like his whole reaction uh, I to mean, the it, detonation, did he? I'm. I, I th- look. I think he would have planned it out, and like knowing, knowing the fact that you can only 
do this once, I don't think Heath Ledger would have just left it to chance. I think knowing the actor, mm. the kind of actor he was, at least, he would have planned out what he was going to do. Um, and it's just a testament to, to his acting right. ability that it, yeah, and, and it's just mm. a testament to his acting ability that he made it look so natural, right? He made it look like as if the Joker was like, oh shit, why didn't that go off? Hmm. <laughs> so. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's such a good little moment. And it's such a good, like, um, what would you call it? A parody of many of the slow motion walk with the explosion in the background of so many other yeah. movies. Which, yeah. It's it's just oh so good. <laughs> mm, it's definitely good. Um, yeah, good thing that we have you here, Andy, to iron out some of the facts that we mentioned here on the podcast. <laughs> Fact checker. <laughs> Fact checker over here, Andy. Andy nice. Tay. Um, so while Two Face confronts the corrupt cops and the mobsters by uh, one by one, flipping his coin to decide their fates, resulting in the cold blooded murders of Wurtz. Wurritz and Maroney's driver, Maroney's, Maroney's fates in uh, ambiguous after um, his car crashes. The Joker declares on television that he will rule the streets and that anyone left in the Gotham in Gotham at nightfall will be subject to his rule. Eventually, the city attempts to leave, although all road uh, ways and bridges have been cut off due to the Joker's warnings that they have been wired to explode. However, two fairies remain and each one becomes full. One carries prisoners and the other carries regular citizens. At Wayne Enterprises, Lucius discovers that Batman has expanded the sonar technology and developed an advanced surveillance system that can listen in and track the movement of anyone from thousands of cell phones in the city. Lucius agrees to help by monitoring the sonar, but says he will resign if the machine is not destroyed after the Joker is gone, since this essentially contradicts what Bruce believes in. So we're, we're sort of wrapping up like the plot lines here or sort of the plots that have been introduced throughout Act 1 and 2. And when we get to the final showdown between um, having citizens on one on one ship and you know, prisoners on the other ship, uh, Bruce is presented with another predicament or another dilemma of um, which one is he going to decide to blow up? <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> sort of the, the fate is now also down to Bruce and what kind of decision he has to make moralistically um, in this situation. But um, these concepts that Nolan introduces throughout the film there's so many massive big scale concepts that he introduces and they're all to do with civilians and the civilians are sort of hanging in the balance and they're all down to the choices of a couple of crazy people. You know, Batman is a crazy person. So I'm just going to say that he's, he's one of those crazy persons. <laughs> he's, he's the one that has to decide. Also Joker has to be the one that decides. Harvey Dent is essentially a part of this whole thing where he has to decide on what is going to be the fate of civilians within Gotham city. Um, Nate, this whole yeah. lead up to this to the two ships with the civilians and the um, uh, prisoners. Uh, where, where do you find yourself in the film at this point? Um, are you still sort of surprised? Are you, are you loving all the surprise elements that Nolan is giving us throughout the film? Well, I think um, I I always remembered, and and there was something really funny about the this this final set piece is the jarring element to how how I'm supposed to feel about the stakes of the mm-hmm. moment because you realize very uh, not very early in 
you start to realize that more and more as the hostage situation starts to take place, that there is so much more going on, that the hostages have been switched with, um, switched with all of the actual villains and the villains are pretending to be doctors and patients from the bus. (laughs) But at the same time, you have this playing out of the ferry scene and you suddenly realize that this story is completely out of the Joker's hands. And I, um, I, I, I think I felt a lot like, like I felt a lot like Lucius and maybe Lucius is supposed to help you feel like the moral gray area, which, Batman is starting to cross, which really comes to its full fruition when you get to his final standoff between him, Harvey, and Commissioner Gordon, where he has to make a decision about what kind of Batman he's going to be, what kind of hero Gotham needs, Um, is that in this scene, there is a drastic element of Lucius seeing that Batman's gone too far in order to stop this being... And maybe in some way he's going to give up some of what is supposed to be. Um, mm. And I, I feel it too. And I think that's a like credit to Nolan on this as well is to make us um, question our hero. And even I think by the time you get to the end of this film and you get to the Dark Knight Rises, the, the effects of what happens here does really play out into what follows in the coming film. That the death of Harvey is going to be an inevitability of this all out war against the Joker. And, um, yeah, I just, I just, um, yeah, I love, I love a moral dilemma and I love, uh, you know, like especially a a trolley theory dilemma, bring it on. But, uh, (laughs) you know, like, you you're like a unanimous sense of achievement and us empathizing most of all with the, the prisoners. (laughs) I just, I just think it's, um, yeah, it's it's just it's very different for a, a finale of a superhero movie. There's no giant CGI battle. No, I'm, I'm all there for it. You know, like that's that's mm. huge. You know, like even even Batman Begins and to some degree Dark Knight Rises have a giant superhero battle at the end, and this mm. movie doesn't. And that's yeah, a testament to Nolan. Yeah. So mm. yeah, testament to the storytelling and sort of subverting some expectation and. It's throughout the whole film. I wasn't really anticipating a big CGI battle or a big kind of <laughs> showdown between the villain and the Joker. And I think it's because because of what I've learned about the Joker so far. I didn't expect or anticipate this big hand to hand combat sequence no. where it's eventually going to come down to the two of them. And, you know, yeah. and we know this, like you know, when they have that dialogue sequence um, where Joker says that line specifically. Do you think this was going to come down between a fist fight between you and me. He literally spells it out to the audience. Yeah, and I can't like, no, live without you. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it wasn't going to come down to that. You know, yeah. that's why I have the ace in the hole, which we're going to get into a little bit um, before that. But before we get into that, Andy, what did you think about this whole lead up with the introduction of the two stakes, you know, quote unquote stakes between the prisoners and the uh, hu- uh, human beings? <laughs> the prisoners <laughs> and the <laughs> civilians. <laughs> Oh, Who's yeah, the real yeah. human? Who are the real human beings? Um, you know, well, their, their lives are did you find out, don't we? <laughs> oh man, just, uh, just like you don't expect that sort of thing in 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 in, in a superhero mm. film. Uh, I mean, it's mm. it's a very hard decision to make, right? And I mean, no matter which which side you're on, uh, is there is there a right answer? 
Um, and I love that yeah. Nolan's posing these difficult questions. Um, and and the, you know, it's great that the result sort of this sort of flip thing where you know the the prisoners are well one guy at least he, you know he throws out the the detonation device and goes nah you know we're not doing this. Um, and then yeah. on the flip side you got the civilian one one civilian man who thinks he's he can blow up the other ship, but uh, when he thinks about it, you know he can't. Um, and I suppose he doesn't have it in him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose a part of it has also got to do with with the, the human spirit, right? I mean, you, you most people, I hope, um, don't intend to harm <laughs> others, right? Even, and, they, I get, yeah. and again, it's it, it's what um, Nathan was saying about that. It's that line uh, you cross or don't cross, right? And in this case, it's like, do you do you sacrifice another person's life to save your own? Uh, so yeah. that yeah, love that love that moral dilemma. Uh, it's a, it's some heavy themes to introduce to mm. a film like this because because now you know Nolan is introducing very philosophical themes in this mm. in this point of the film mm. where um, how do we understand human beings or what are the what is the essence of our um, morality that we have uh, when we have two opposing crowds right and this was actually very key it wasn't an accident to just put prisoners on one side and to the mm. civilians on the other side. It was very key to introduce that theme of philosophical questioning. Um, and I thought that was pretty ballsy for some, for, mm. I mean, I guess for Nolan, you know, when you learn more about his films and nothing's ever too big for this guy, you know, he, he's going to take on mm. the biggest themes and concepts ever, but to interject a philosophical, uh, theme into the film like this mm. i'm like whoa this is this is a lot because you've already thrown so much on this plate already mm. and i've loved this film up until this point and to throw that into the mix i'm like wow what else are we going to get into this and i'm not saying that in a bad way i'm saying that in a good way because you're presented with a dilemma um i i don't know how i would have um i don't know whether i would have agreed or disagreed if batman decided to just say, yeah, I'll blow up that ship. <laughs> you know? I, don't, I, I, I don't know how I would have felt because because I'm I'm sort of trying to picture myself in the shoes of Batman too. It's like, well, what would I have done? <laughs> like, yeah. do I just mm. like uh, do I just run away from my problems or something? Do I become a child and run away from my issues and not deal with them? But I am dealing with them because I'm the one that's like now having to make the parent choice of yes, I need to just not blow up these people and just maybe kill the Joker. But I can't break my policy of no kill, so it's like, what do I do? So, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's crazy. Nathan, were you about to say something? I thought you were... Oh, no, 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 no. I, um, I completely agree. I, 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 one thing I, I do find is hilarious is, and it was something, I think they put it into, like, one of the cinema's, like, advertising trailers like a event cinema trailer thing but the and here we go go oh, uh, <laughs> this this element of a final triumphant like it is a yeah. um v, v for vendetta explosion of parliament that doesn't happen um that's true yeah i like everything that the film gives you up until this point about humanity and like I guess we needed to say that Gotham and the people of Gotham are a character in and of themselves, mm. Mm. and um, that there is a question of are these people worth saving? Is what Batman's trying to do worthwhile? Is saving these people from themselves, which is again a big question of one like Batman one and three in this trilogy, and the League of Shadows is 
these people are corrupt and corruption is is a virus and corruption corruption is systemic and anarchy doesn't take much to to dismantle the system um that it it's it it is a moment where you say no batman actually has changed things <laughs> batman mm. makes things different and hope is does, yeah. contagious um even when people want to do the the worst thing and mm. i do really like how annoyingly like a karen the the main guy on the civilian boat is like he's so annoying <laughs> he's so and, and when he and it's like oh you don't have the stones to press the button and kill all the prisoners um you know like i i really think it's a it's a very clever little choice that nolan makes in this film you know yeah yeah, yeah that's a very good point um and i mean like I, I do love the fact that there's just there's a reminder like what you're saying there is a reminder in this in this scene in particular that batman has made an impression on the city and people are willing to do to make the right choices mm-hmm. and he says that to joker when he's when he's on top of joker you know he says he says the line what were you trying to prove that deep down everyone is is as ugly as you and he and he says you're alone you're the only one wanting to do this maniacal stuff yeah you know, he he sort of and mm-hmm. and it, the proof is in the pudding because you know they they don't blow each other up which is kind of nice <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> so this this uh, section of the ace in the hole, uh, the Joker is unfazed by his remark and pulls out a detonator preparing to blow up the both ships himself. However, he is caught off guard when Batman projects um, the steel spikes from his gauntlet at the Joker, causing him to release his grip on Batman and the detonator. Batman then throws the cackling man off the building. Why would you say the cackling man <laughs> off the man. building? But to the Joker's annoyance, Batman refuses to kill, kill him because he cannot do it. <laughs> Instead, grabbing him with the grappling gun or the grapple gun and leaves him hanging upside down. With this act, the Joker acknowledges that Batman really is incorruptible, but the dent is no longer the White Knight. Mm. He's unleashed the scarred man of the city and dubs him as the ace in the hole. Batman leaves to find Two-Face while the SWAT team moves in and arrests the Joker. Now, we need to talk about this scene really quick, right? This this upside down, the last the last dialogue between Batman and the Joker where Joker is upside down and Batman is the right way up. I'm going to start with you, Andy. What did you think about this scene? Because I have a lot to say about the scene, by the way. But yeah, I want to throw it at you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a great camera choice, isn't it? I mean, with the, sh- the shot choice, I should Ooh, say. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it, as you correctly pointed out, the, the joke is sort of, he's, he's, it's almost, he's, he's, it's literally showing his worldview um, is, is twisted or, or the wrong way around. Uh, it's just great visual metaphor. Mm. It's a great visual metaphor. I mean, like, I was shocked at... I mean, I was shocked about this whole film, if you haven't already picked, mm. picked up. I was shocked about, like, at the camera work in this film. It's just so intentional and it's so artistic and it's so... There's a lot of metaphors that happen throughout the film through the camera lens. And to see Joker upside down is that representation of Joker just being a very upside down person. His whole worldview is backwards, mm. it's upside down, and it's messed up. And I love that the, 
that the camera goes upside down with him and you're dangling with him upside down. And it's like, mm. oh, it's just, there's so much visual um, communication happening on screen. I was just, mm. I was very flawed by that last scene. Nathan. I, um, I, uh, I love uh, just the surreal nature of him upside down. And it's, uh, and it does the turn and, you know, I love Marvel. I like. I, I always find the the bit where Michael B. Jordan walks into the throne room in Black Panther, and it has that same kind of mm. twist of like a throne being taken. There's an element of rightful. There's an element of self righteousness in 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 Killmonger's character, and that's the same that we find here of this antihero, where mm. he's hanging and and he uses the word gravity in this, but like he's hanging above a an abyss. He's mm. hanging at death's door. But in the same kind of line that he says, like at the beginning to the monsters, if you're good at something, you don't do it for free. There's mm. a sense of it's, I'm inevitably here to be in your way, Batman. I'm inevitably what you must always face. And I, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just think that the, the idea of anarchy being planned is just ridiculous because he's like, especially with with what he creates of dent mm. it's it's this un, an, another unknown quantity which is in many ways like like dent is also another is a tri, it's a triangle because dent is also another antithesis he stands mm. for justice and his anarchy is chance so he like yeah. batman stands for justice but he like the joker is anarchy and so yeah. Harvey Dent becomes like a perfect recreation of the two of them in many mm. ways. Um, he's yeah. just trying to do what's right in his own eyes. Uh, as, uh, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, from a certain point of view, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not, um, it's not wrong in his eyes, but mm. it is to us and it is to Batman. Um, yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's so upsetting that there's no way to rewind what happens to Harvey, I think, as you go into the next scene. Yeah, it's very, very sad, you know. Mm. Um, as we get into uh, this Harvey scene, which is kind of like the, I guess it's like the showdown for Two-Face or Harvey Two-Face. Uh, Two-Face beats down Gordon and is angry to see cops outside the building closing in on him. Gordon tells him that the only... Uh, the only know that they only know there is a situation and know nothing about what is happening. Dent then decides to kill Gordon's son and stands at the edge of the building. Batman finds Two Face along with Gordon's family at the end at the building where Rachel died. He tries to reason with Two Face, tells him to point the gun at the people truly responsible for Rachel's death. So the former DA judges uh, those people he believes are responsible namely batman gordon and himself the judges uh and judges gordon's son to punish gordon even more severely all the all through the chance of a coin flip which he sees as the only fairness left in the world and seeing it as everyone will have a 50 50 chance just like rachel i think this is actually quite key to as well um that um even though that it's become a little bit obscure and ambiguous to the fact that um, Harvey Dent has kind of lost his way and he feels like he's trying to 
um, identifying the, the true lines between right and wrong when he becomes Two-Face, um, it's quite key that it leads to this moment of um, there's the only fairness in this world is a 50-50 chance mm. that we flip by using a coin. Um, that's probably a justification that I can give him as a character because of the journey that he's taken, that it is true. Like everything around him is totally corrupt. And even by the time you get to the end of the film, the the city remains in, in corrupt zone with all the people that are supposed to be holding up the city and with someone like Batman as a figure that has also gone to the ground a little bit because of someone like Joker, you know, um, he is kind of right that the only... The, the only fairness is the fact that it's like a 50 50 chance between him and flipping the coin um i also point out that in this scene the music is intense as heck it's like you know the music is like horrific it's it's like a thriller mm-hmm. not, not a thriller but it's like a horror film you know with the score that is um rising underneath this so pretty damn scary. How do you make this whole last scene with Harvey Dent and Two Face and the rest of them? Oh, so tense, Eddie. isn't it? <laughs> it's so tense. Yeah, because you you don't know how how it will play out. Like like you know, other parts of the film you can sort of I don't know, a somewhat hazard a guess, but this is just it's like like I I I was you know on the edge of my seat. I remember just going. I, I don't know yeah. how this is going to play out. Uh, mm. Like I, I certainly didn't see. Um, you know, I mean, just fast forwarding a bit, just, I mean, I didn't see the fact that Harvey Dent would die and then Batman goes, no, blame me, you know, and, and keep, and keep Harvey as this symbol for the city. Cause that's what they need. I'm like, wow, yeah. that, that's, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's just absolutely, I mean, it's, it's tragic that, that Harvey Dent has, you know, had turned from the white knight into a dark knight essentially right i mean that that that's yeah. the, the i suppose the, the brilliance of the, the title of the film that it's got this dual meaning to right it applies to batman and, and harvey dent um but yeah it, it's it's just so powerful the fact that they they, they managed to pack so much in into to one film um and, and mm. just elicit so many different emotions i mean you you, right. you can you just you just feel for harvey right yeah <laughs> the, the, the poor guy's been through so much hmm he kind of makes you realize that, you know, if you're put in this situation, you're probably, I mean, it might be a little bit extreme, but it's mm. its possible that you could be making the same decisions that Harvey Dent is going through. As well. Oh, exactly right. Like, yeah. You know, being in his shoes. And I think that's what Nolan does so well is that you ground these characters so much to the point where you can actually imagine yourself being in the shoes of these characters. And mm. that's why it becomes like the stakes become a little bit more intense. Like you say, the threats become more intense and the dilemma of choosing uh, making the moral choice in these situations is so evident. It's so tangible in these scenes. And the score that Hans Zimmer does, I don't think we've actually mentioned Hans Zimmer's name, but we have to give lots of credit to Hans Zimmer for doing such an incredible job with scoring this film and also the other films as well. And it's just it's such a scary moment. And it's a very uneasy, tragic ending to the whole story of the Dark Knight, the White Knight that becomes the Dark Knight. Um the Joker kind of pretty much winning by the end of yeah. the film, you mm. know, and it's like a tragic Shakespearean love story, you know, where everyone pretty much dies. <laughs> um, but I mean, no one dies as well. <laughs> Some people die, but <laughs> Some people it, die. it is like a tragic love story. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a very unsettling ending. And so we get 
into this whole last part of the film, like just directly after this tragic scene, um, Gordon is reluctant to do so. Um, but Batman explains he's whatever Gotham needs to be while the future events show Gordon destroys the bat signal in front of the police and the press, a manhunt is issued for Batman. Alfred burns the note Rachel left behind, uh, sorry, left knowing that Bruce will be heartbroken if he reads it while Lucius unknowingly, but please destroys the sonar vision using a self-destruct code as told by Batman and Gotham has a funeral for the white knight. Uh, Batman takes off in the night, but Gordon's son does not understand the reasoning for why Batman must be hunted. But Gordon explains because he can take it, because he is not a hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. Mm. And that is the ending of the dark knight. Oh, man. I actually got chills reading that. I actually almost got emotional there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um that's that's such it's a great like, ending what, what a great ending what like, the most perfect mm. unexpected way to end a film is by using the you know using the sun as sort of the quest the person in question which is the audience like why why should batman be the one you know like what is the reason i don't understand and so he asked that question for us as the audience members, because he can take it and he's not a hero. He's the silent guardian. Oh, <laughs> that is the ending to a very, very long recap and review to the dark night. Um, is this the best ending that you can probably possibly do for this movie? I think so. Hmm. Okay. Nathan. Oh, uh. <laughs> Look, in in an ideal world, Heath would still be here, uh, and I think mm. I think if there was some additional finality to Joker, that would be nice. But true, I'm okay true. without that, and I and I understand why. Um, very very tastefully done, phenomenal ending. It's it's just that one little point that's not a sour point. It's just what it was. You and wanted to see a is. little bit more of the Joker, right? A little bit more. Dude, but I that, was the same. I was the same. Fine. I wanted to see a little bit more of the Joker. I was like, please give me more. Is he going to be in the end credits scene or something? I don't know. So please speaking speaking of not seeing more, I'm going to roll, yeah. gents. Keep yeah, going. Yeah, you've got to roll, but can you just give us your rating for this film before you jump off? My rating is, I think, I, I, I think I'm sitting with 94%. Out of a hundred, oh. I haven't done my. I have a technical scoring system. Yes, I'll, I'll do yeah. that and I'll bring that up for our regular uh, listeners. The end of the trilogy. This. So that's but, technically um, nine point four out of ten. Nine point four out of ten. Yeah, and and I think if I critique it too much, it would drop down a bit. But <laughs> I think I think there like there is an impeccable element of this as a film and as a Nolan film. Again, like it loses some points there. That's fine because it's mm. it's 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 not just a Nolan film. As a Nolan film, it it's very by the numbers in many yeah. ways. But yeah, now nah, still phenomenal, phenomenal. Awesome. Um, and and again, actually, in my Nolan world, it's it's probably number two. So you know, Ooh. good job. Ooh. Wow, <laughs> wow! Thank you so much Love for it. jumping in on the cast, Nathan, and we'll Thanks, drop guys. It. 
drop uh, the show notes into the episode so people know where to find you. Pleasure. Have a good one. Good to see you, Andy. Chat to you guys soon. See you, Nath. See ya. Bye. Now, Andy, the most important rating. Yes. <laughs> Charlie, how would you conclude this film, The Dark Knight, the second in the trilogy of the Batman series, also known as the Nolan-verse, I suppose? Um, how would you conclude this film, and what's the rating that you'll give this? Oh, man, uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, this is still to this day, I think, uh, from for me, my, my favorite film Nolan's done, My definitely my favorite Batman film that's ever come out. Um, so, mm. you know, Robert Patterson's The Batman has, has big shoes to fill for me. Awesome. Um, I don't have such a, I suppose, a, a technical breakdown as, as Nathan, but for me, this is, this film's a nine out of 10. Nice. Nice. Nine out of 10. You know what? So mm. I can sort of concur with those ratings as well. Um, this, this movie has a huge impact on me and I think it's, I've always told people that, uh, I should say, when people ask me, what, what are some of the best films ever made? Mm. I always have to mention The Dark Knight. And mm. so, people that know me really well, they know that I, I'm a huge nerd and a lover of Marvel comic, uh, Marvel comic movies, whether it's the MCU films or even movies that came before the MCU, X-Men trilogy and Spider-Man mm. films. Um, they know that I'm a huge fan of that stuff. And I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people just know me as the movie enthusiasts that love the comic book movies and they just sort of pigeonhole me in this comic book movie world, right? <laughs> and they don't sort of mm. see me as like a person that loves all the other other films as well, other genres. But, um, and so when I say to the same people, I say to them, you know, The Dark Knight to me is actually one of the greatest films ever, ever made. They're like, really? The Dark Knight? The comic book movie? And it's, it's kind of like that whole stigma mm. around what comic book movies are and what they can't be. And it doesn't help when you have very popular directors like Ridley Scott and Martin Scorsese shitting on comic book movies. That doesn't help at all. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, but but then I go on to, if, if they have the patience to listen to my uh, analysis of a film like The Dark Knight, then they start to see the insights. They see the appreciation for great filmmaking in a movie like The Dark Knight. And I actually wrote a thesis about this in 2010. I decided to write my own kind of like 10-page thesis as to why The Dark Knight is one of the greatest films ever made. Probably mm. need to go back and, and rewrite some of those pages because it's probably pretty choppy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they say, dig um, it out, read it, read it out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of this film, and I don't really want to say that this is a comic book movie because it just doesn't feel like a comic book movie, and nor does any of Nolan films feel like comic book movies. You know, any other Batman movies that he's made. Mm. But you know, for what it's worth, it's a you can say it's a comic book movie, but it's just a great film in general. It has everything from drama, suspense, crime, action. Um, stakes intensity anticipation character driven stories it's got all these different plot lines they all weave together to make a great cohesive and very very concentrated film it's just unbelievable really unbelievable what he did with this movie and so i would give this film a 10 out of 10 oh nice yeah great i gave Mm. you know I, i gave the prestige a 10 out of 10 um 
and i'm not afraid to give movies 10 i think we're always mm-hmm. a little bit apprehensive to give movies 10 because we're always like nah movies aren't perfect and you know what <laughs> dark... <laughs> but you know what the dark knight isn't a perfect film right the dark knight is just another film the dark knight is just a film that is it's just it's just another great film so i give it a I give it a 10 out of 10 i i can't really say more to that it's it's an amazing film and um i just wish everybody would see this film so that brings us to the end of our fifth episode for the legacy series which we have started with the christopher nolan on the next episode of the legacy series we will be reviewing and recapping inception if you haven't already checked out our other episodes on the legacy series which are episodes 19 20 21 and 22 that is memento insomnia batman begins and the prestige and you know of course now this is episode 23 of the dark knight um we will be continuing with episode perhaps 24 25 not too sure yet with inception which is the next christopher nolan movie in the lineup so andy where can everyone find you yeah, so um, they can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Tumblr. Just search up Marvelous Synergy, I guess. Um, I post a whole bunch of you know Marvel-related news and, and trivia. So, uh, yeah, and um, of course, I've got my uh, Marvelous Synergy podcast, which you can find on Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Nice. I'll put those also in the show notes so then people know exactly where to find you. I highly recommend Andy's podcast on Marvelous Synergy if you're a podcast listener. I mean, of course, you're a podcast listener because you're listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Make sure you check out this show <laughs> because if you're a MCU fan, um, this is one of the best podcasts you should check out because it's one of the most insightful and informative podcasts to learn about the MCU. And don't forget to check out his books on Amazon. You can type in the search bar marvelous synergy you can find phase one two and three in there i actually need to buy some myself so <laughs> it's a good reminder for myself too. um and we need to get you back onto the podcast again at some point especially when we do a marvel film um we will be doing the um the next series i suppose for disney plus the mcu series what is the next um disney plus mcu series Sorry, what was that? What is the next uh, Disney Plus MCU series? Ah, that would be uh, Moon Knight coming Moon out uh, towards the end of March. Knight. Yes, yes, I am very excited for that. That is going to land just before the opening of Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get you in for, you know, one of the episodes or maybe even Doctor Strange 2 at some point. We'll figure it out. Yeah, Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and you can you can find legit cool podcasts on Instagram at legit cool podcast. My personal Instagram is river underscore villi. That is v i l i. And if it's your first time here, hit the notifications button so you know when the next episode drops. For legit cool, I'm river villi. <laughs>